Hello, one and all. Welcome to yet another episode of the B-Side Podcast for the film stage. Today is a special day. We're going to go down under and we're going to talk Nicole Kidman, which is uh, which I will say is a show and a subject that we've wanted to do for a long time. People have asked us to do in comments and other uh, avenues and arenas. And... What a great subject, because Nicole does have a decent amount of B-sides. And to do this, to tackle this, we brought a good friend, the only person we could think of to talk about Nicole Kidman, someone who's talked about Nicole Kidman on other podcasts, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, our good friend, a film critic from Australia, Glenn Dunks. Glenn, how the heck are you? How are you doing over there? I'm doing... All right. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're talking in the middle of uh, people said it was over. You know, they, te- they kept yeah, saying the it really over. wasn't. It's, it very much is that meme. It's not over just because you want it to be. Yeah, oh so I'm beaming, in from, I'm beaming in from Melbourne, Australia, where we're currently uh, locked down in a curfew. It's 9 p.m. over here. And yeah, fun yeah. stuff. I was out for about an hour today, and that's as much as we're allowed. Hey now. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, and it's it's. I mean, we don't need to get into it, but it's funny. It's like two sides of, I suppose, it's the same, but also widely different coin. Because here, at a lot of where we are, you know, we're there are college football games with thirty thousand people and not a mask to be seen. You know, like yeah, you're just it's wild it's just, seeing it's those a, videos. It's truly. It's true. Like I was watching highlights from I'm a Notre Dame fan and like um, I just was like, it's like a sh- you're shocked watching it. Like I was like watching a game winning touchdown and I'm like, oh, yay, great. They won. And then it like cuts to like <laughs> the green of all the people. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, no, no. Anyway, I went to so my great. first Broadway show yesterday. Like, oh, did oh, you? Oh, wow. Pandemic. Like. I was gonna say and for your your no, first ever. No, 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 no. But no, uh, my my wife and I went to go see Hades Town, and they oh, that's awesome. Uh, it was. I mean, it. On one hand, you felt as safe as you could be given the circumstances. You know, like just yeah, and they require vaccination, and they do and all, li- yeah. they do like literally everything. So you're like, yeah, okay, cool. Like this, and and everybody seems down to abide by the rules, which was nice. But it's still definitely occasionally just when you have like people full-throated singing at you know you're like is this, yeah is this all right like <laughs> yeah it'll take yeah. a while uh for that Look, to ever I, feel regular yeah i was at least able to uh find time in between lockdowns to go see the movie about the beach that makes you go old so hey, sure. look yeah look it's not all bad yeah you it's not all bad you take what you can get <laughs> and now let me just say um if you haven't listened to our podcast before, here at the B side, we do talk about movie stars, not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made in between. And as I said before, we're here to talk about Australia's queen and really America's queen. Really, she was born in Hawaii, which we'll talk about. Um, you've, you've got a claim to her. You've got a claim. Yeah. Like Nicole she could Kidman. be president. She could be she could run yeah. for president. Um, You've also got a claim on Mel Gibson. We don't want him anymore. <laughs> yes, which it is funny. It's funny how it's a very similar situation. So Mel was born in Beacon, New York, which is near where me and Connor are from. Um, 
and then they moved to like Australia kind of because of like religious reasons a little, right? Like I think that's the why they did that. If you read about it, like Hutton Gibson was like, I've had enough of this country. And he like moved them to another country. Anyway, um, the cool kid, man. Now, Connor and of course, Glenn, but I haven't introduced Connor, but we all, you know, you know, me, you know, you know that's fine. We know Connor's it's to be expected. <laughs> Who's but, Connor? Exactly. <laughs> Uh, Dan's the only one who can see me. <laughs> we're talking about, uh, yeah, it, it turns out I was hosting this podcast alone <laughs> the whole time. Um, so today we're talking about four B-sides that kind of, I think, you know, they're they're wrapped around, I mean, two are basically on, the, on each side of her Oscar, and then the other two are kind of at inflection points later in her career so we have birthday girl in 2001 yeah which um we'll start with and then we have fur an imaginary portrait of deanne arbus from 2006 and then we have australia from 2008 and then finally destroyer about a decade later in 2018 recent movie karen kusama uh did that one so um let's start as we always start where where, how, when did Nicole Kidman come into your lives? Glenn, our guest of honor, who you love, Nicole. We know this. You were we. I was referencing it earlier. You were on our our good friends, the Mix Reviews podcast, a few years back, talking about Nicole. Um, so big I shout out to was. Glenn and Louis, and that they're very I mean, Gavin. They're, and, I think you mean Gavin and Louis. You're Glenn. I'm <laughs> Gavin and Louis. But but yes, sorry Gavin and sorry Glenn and sorry Louis. No, but but um. <laughs> That show Look, it's is early, guys. Just it's, full, it's early. It's full, early here. Full disclosure: it's early. Where it's we late. Are. It's late where Glenn is. It's just early where we are. Um, <clears throat> but no. But the mixed reviews they go deep, right, on the whole career. So you guys talked a lot. Well, obviously we we focus on the four movies. But Glenn, wh- so wh- what was the first Nicole you saw? How old were you? What was the movie? Do you remember? Yeah, I think obviously growing up in Australia someone like Nicole Kidman was always sort of around in the, in the newspapers and the magazines and the like. Um, if you sort of, I guess she was the first one of, I guess the more modern uh, crop of Australians to make it big in America, thinking of your Russell Crowe's Naomi, Naomi Watts, um, Hugh Jackman, all of those. Um, she was the first, uh, um, first big one of that of that sort of era and being married to tom cruise the the newspapers and the tv news shows they all loved her and so i think she was just sort of someone who was who i was aware of in culture before i'd even seen anything that uh, she course, was in yeah, but makes sense. i mean it's probably going to be uh not at all a surprise that i think the first movie i ever saw of hers was batman forever yeah, it right. just sort I was of thinking made... that might have been me too. We're all of the yeah. same age. It might be that as well. For yeah, me. I would have been around 10 when that came out. And that, I mean, that movie was huge. Uh, so I, I, I can't imagine I had seen, <laughs> gosh, I don't know, uh, Dead Calm, for instance, uh, right. before I was 10 years old. So yeah, I, 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 gotta, I gotta imagine it was Batman Forever. And then I think... Uh, 
I wasn't a full on as we <laughs> as uh, someone dubbed Nicole Kidman fans kid maniacs. Ooh, right and, uh, I don't think I yeah I don't think I became a full on uh, kid maniac. <laughs> I'm not going to keep using that term. <laughs> I just had to throw it in. Uh, I, I feel like I, I, I feel I like was... kid maniac can be a dangerous term. <laughs> yeah, maybe, um, I, but I don't think yeah I don't think it was it was until 2001 with Moulin Rouge and the others. I saw sure. Moulin Rouge eight times in the cinema in uh, 2001, Damn. Uh, just like taking new people every single time. Uh, and then from there on, it was just sort of, she was, uh, that was, I think, the right time to like, for me to gravitate to an actress like Nicole Kidman, because I was, you know, I was uh, around, what was it, about 16. And that's when like, you're really wanting to like, starting to prove you're a, you know, you're a cinephile, you're the, sure. you're the movie guy. And so, like, wanting to catch all of these, like, obscure movies, uh, not wanting to just go see mainstream movies. And that those were the sort of movies she was making. She was making stuff like Dogville uh, and Margot at the Wedding and, and, and the like. And so it was just sort of, like, serendipitous, I think, in the timings uh, of my burgeoning film-loving uh that, and that, that that's where I gravitated towards. And so it's just sort of been mildly awkward obsession ever since. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's, it's funny, man. Batman Forever, you're right. I, it's Chase Meridian, you know, Dr. Chase Meridian. What a great, may, what a may, great name. May we never forget. I mean, yeah, I wish I could think of something different, but it's, if I'm being honest, I remember seeing Batman Forever in theaters with my whole family. Like my parents were there. Like, you know, I was, I don't know, eight, I don't know. And, you know, seven. And um, I remember, yeah, I I liked that movie when it came out, of course. As a young kid, it's a very sexualized performance, like on purpose, of course. That's like, it's almost comedically so, right? In that movie, it's, it's, it's very over the top, obviously. And I, and but she kind of she ebbed and flowed with that right in her whole career she's always been very kind of i mean we'll talk about it in these movies of course she's all of the hats she puts on throughout her career it's it's quite incredible and even in these four movies i i think it ends up being a pretty good uh range to show those things because they're all very different in a lot of ways um but I think it's Batman Forever, and we'll we'll cue the seal song. I mean, you have to do it. Kiss from Rose. Connor, is it the same for you? It must be, right? It that's be definitely else. that's definitely the first movie of hers where I was aware of who she was that I saw in a theater, for sure. Mm. But I do have a weirdly... I feel like my introduction to Nicole Kidman was also my introduction to Tom Cruise because I watched Days of Thunder a lot oh, as a kid. Days of Thunder, On, like, yeah. VHS. So I was very aware. Yeah, I caught that one later. I didn't see that young, yeah. Yeah, I was very aware of both of them from, like, a relatively young age. But I think that was definitely the first, like, con- at the time, contemporary thing I had seen her in, I think. You mean you yeah. weren't watching To Die For as, a, as an eight-year-old? <laughs> what? You were watching Malice as uh... Look, hey, when I when I was like eight and I saw Malice, the I Am God speech just really, it really changed me. Changed your life. Yeah. So, Glenn, as you said, she comes up in Australia and in the 80s, she's in a lot of stuff. 
uh, some TV, some film. Bush Christmas, right? Five Mile Creek is a show. BMX Bandits gets a lot of play now, probably because of the name more than anything. I did watch it for the first time as as part of the research for this podcast. Kind of a fun movie. You're wearing a BMX Bandits t-shirt, uh, Glenn, yeah, as, we're, yeah. as we're recording. You know, it's like, right, Glenn? It's you goofy. Can it's goofy. It's silly. It feels like a kid's movie, kind of Brian Trenchard Smith. It's part of, you'd call it, right, the exploitation. Yeah, movement so, a little bit, you know. I won't I won't fully go into it, but basically in the 1980s there was some uh federal government policies which meant if you put money into film production you could basically get all of it back plus I don't know, it's a plus a percentage just like you didn't even have the movie didn't even have to make money basically at the box office. So Right. All of these relatively cheap genre films were uh were made which is that exploitation uh sort of subgenre that uh the do- that documentary not quite hollywood uh went right. into it people have right. seen that one but yeah so um brian trinchard smith was very prominent in that 1980s era and bmx bandits it's probably one of if not his most famous movie purely because of Nicole Kidman and and you watch it today yeah it's very very retro very it's extremely 80s so it it, it gets a lot of play uh, yeah. because of that yeah I mean it's kind of you know in the states to a to a lesser degree I'd say you had gleaming the cube with Christian Slater and thrashing thrashing yeah with young Josh Brolin where it was like skateboarding right but like they weren't hits you know they were like trying to tap into a moment i don't think bmx bandits was a hit either but like it became a hit on its own i'd write you you would say over the over the years and it's funny if you go back and you read like notices from that time it's people are like well this this young girl is very good right like she does (laughs) in the movie stand out amongst her peers and yes, and the other really and the adults like she's I, very I'm, good. Yeah, I must say I'm a bit upset you didn't uh, include Rad in that no. uh, rundown of similar. <laughs> I know that's my own Rad. I'm, look, I can only I can only blame myself for it. No, I mean, but so yeah, BMX Bandits. I watched. You know, she's in Wind Rider a couple years later with Tom Berlinson, which is I think a high profile just because Tom Berlinson is the man from Snowy River. If you if you guys have ever seen that movie. Um, Kind of a kind of a nice movie, and um, I haven't seen Wind Rider, but I, but I'm re- referencing the Man from Snowy River. But so she's in these Australian movies, and then Dead Calm is the one that really hits. It crosses the pond, as it were. Philip Noyce directs it. It's a great movie. I mean, I I I have always really liked that movie. It's a kind of a one location thriller that then expands. Uh, Billy Zane, Sam Neill. And of course, Nicole Kidman. It's basically knife on the water, plus other stuff, right? It's like taking that Roman Polanski picture and kind of going a little Hollywood with it. Um, Connor, you you watched it for the first I, th- time? Yeah, for this, this right? was so. This is this was where I like marked my starting point in some of my research, and I had never seen it. Um, and it fucking rips, dude. That movie. It, it's just it's like, a good movie. I don't know. It's just and I, it it was a hit. So it, but, but it also feels like the kind of movie we cover all the time on this podcast in terms of like just a specific kind of thriller that like doesn't get made anymore, or at least certainly not for like a certain amount of money. Um, but, uh, 
but yeah, I really, really loved it. Every, everybody in it is great. It also like I feel like anytime I see a young Sam Neill in a movie, I get kind of sad that he didn't like pop as much in the States. But um, but yeah, I mean, he I mean, he ended up in Jurassic Park. Sure, I sure. Mean, he's I, I guess. Yeah, I guess right. And he was in like the Carpenter movies too. I I guess he just never. And he was and Glenn. He was huge in Australia, right? Like he he makes like he's in like Sleeping Dogs, which is that good Roger yeah. Donaldson movie. He's so in a he's lot a, of stuff. Yeah, he's a, he's a New Zealand actor who oh New Zealand sort of sorry. sort of by necessity moved to Australia, and so right, because right. they just they just weren't making movies uh, in New Zealand enough, and so you know he did My Beautiful Career and uh, oh right My Heat Beautiful Career yeah. with. Yeah, and Heatwave again with Judy Davis, and he's been yeah lots of stuff. But yeah, that was a yeah Dead Calm is, yeah it's just a it's a ripper, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, and it's just like yeah Billy. Z- I mean, you have it's just a funny benchmark too because I mean you're right, Connor. It's Sam Neill. It's four years before Jurassic Park. He never becomes sure. He like never well, becomes Liam Neeson or something. But like, and he's never but, the like that crop of actors that Glenn mentioned before. Like he never pops. As much as any of those, Russell Crowe, yeah, or, Hugh Jackman, or, yeah, or, or, guy, or like, even even Guy Pierce, right? To that, yeah, or Hugo Weaving, yeah, yeah, Hugo Weaving, yeah, true, yeah, Hugo Weaving, yeah, he's good, yeah. Um, but but um, yeah, Dead Calm. So that's kind of the spark, and then the next year she's in Days of Thunder, right? And it's Tom Cruise, and then it's like stratospheric, where she's kind of on his arm, you know, making her own movies, of course. But like to Glenn, to your point earlier, she's like his wife. In, in a very yeah. kind of, um, you know, in that very, uh, you know, OK Magazine kind of misogynistic way, I suppose. But she's making like, you know, we mentioned Malice, right? She's she's making these, but she's also making, um, you know, more daring work, which is always, you know, her whole career. And I think this is kind of what's great about Nicole Kidman is she's always you know, doing like she'll make Bewitched and it'll be weird and, you know, maybe not, you know, maybe not hit, what have you. But then she'll make fur. I mean, for, you know, and we'll, you know, we'll get to fur, but like, you know, so she has um, Billy Bathgate. She's like on a prominent role in which is kind of a, a, a failed big profile movie by Robert Benton based on the, uh, the E.L. Doctorow um, book. That's yeah, 91. I must say. Ahead, when you yeah. suggested the movies we were going to be talking about, I did reply back saying, thankfully Billy we're not talking about <laughs> Billy Bathgate. I yeah, hated yeah. that one. <laughs> Billy Bathgate is just one of those movies like, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's that, it's the, it's the ragtime thing. Like you had, that, I mean, ragtime is a better movie, but like those huge books were then back then, like Bonfire of the Vanities actually is a better example where it's like, Let's just do it. Let's just put it on the screen. And then you're like, well, but if you read an E.L. Doctorow book, you're going to make that. You're going to put it into a movie. And then you, and then Robert Benton's a good director, right? And you put it in the movie and it's just like, yeah, it just doesn't translate the same. And it's funny. Bruce Willis is in both Billy Bathgate and Bonfire of the Vanities, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, other I was writing this down. Other B-sides we could have done, right? We could have done Billy Bathgate, Malice, I feel like would count. My Life with Michael Keaton. Yeah. My God, that's a B-side. Uh, the Peacemaker, I feel like, would count with George Clooney. And then, like, The Human Stain. Speaking of Robert Benton, that's another Benton. That movie's crazy. 
And like the Railway Man, Before I Go to Sleep, Strangerland, Queen of the Desert, we already talked about on this podcast. Mm-hmm. We talked about Pattinson. Um, and then like Secret in Their Eyes. I mean, she's been in a few, but mm-hmm. um, if there's, I, I will just, I will say one, one title that I, I would love people to go out and check. Uh, check out is from the same time as deep uh, dead calm it's called flirting mm. uh, and it's got tandy way newton and noah taylor it's set in a uh, boarding school it that one is really uh that one's really great i really recommend that one yeah that that's what i meant to catch up with i will say my two huge blind spots with nicole because i do think i've seen a lot of her movies my two huge ones flirting i have not seen and i have not seen the portrait of a lady shamefully oh, wow i know jane campion getting a Get lot of play right one. now power of the dog jane's back um okay birthday girl all right written and directed by jess butterworth who accomplished playwright wrote ferryman the ferryman um has been around a long time has written a lot of screenplays with him and his brothers written a lot of screenplays um currently writing or have current or wrote and is currently filming the fifth Indiana Jones movie. So, you know, the Butterworths do it all. Um, I don't know. I'm going to, I guess I'll just, I'll do the plot of this movie, Birthday Girl. So, you got Ben Chaplin. All right. Classic Ben. This is in the pocket of Ben Chaplin. This is the moment. This is <laughs> Thin Red Line, Truth About Cats and Dogs, Lost Souls, Birthday Girl. Truth this is like cats if you, and dogs. If, you wow. look, if you got a book about Hollywood history, there's a whole chapter that's just called The Pocket but this of Ben is, Chaplin. This is, this is Ben Chaplin's Har- Josh Hartnett moment. This yeah, is like, sure. yeah. will, maybe this, Ben, maybe Ben's going to yeah. be big. And it doesn't hit Sally for Ben. Good actor, you know. But in this movie, he's just, he's basically a peckish, nerdy uh, bank clerk living in the outskirts of England, as it were. And the movie opens with him literally on the internet back in 01, where it was like the internet was still like, ooh, the internet, like what's on the internet? Yeah, sure. And he's like poking around uh, mail order bride websites, as we've all done. We've all done it. And he's looking at videos. Oh, I'm a, the Russian mail order brides. Oh, I have this, that, you know, all these options. Seems dissatisfied, what have you. Anyway, cut to he's at the airport. Uh, Nicole Kidman is Nadia, who's his mail order bride. She doesn't speak English. She's disappointed. What have you. Um, but she's, she reciprocates his kinkier sexual natures, which is another one of those funny. Oh, one things where it's like, did you know people have, have you... kinks? Yeah. Like, and the, like, and the, uh, yeah. The, the kink, <laughs> the kinks are very like normal. Like I yeah. just like to watch it to 2021. I was like, all right, dude, the guy likes, right, not that big of a deal. Like, but the movie's like, right. She's into it. So it's okay. And so the movie, the movie kind of suggests he's going to ride with it, even though she can't speak English and they're getting along. Q Vincent Castle and uh, Matteo Kozovic, and they are uh, Kozovic is claims to be Nadia's cousin, but not quite cousin. And Vincent Castle's yeah his friend. And then I guess I should I guess I'll spoil this part because it's pretty early in the movie. Basically, things go awry. Ben Chaplin says they should leave, and then. Vincent Castle basically takes Nicole Kidman's Nadia hostage and Ben Ben Chaplin has to rob the bank he works at. 
And then there's like 40 more twists after that. And that's not true. There's like two more twists after that. But but you could probably guess what they are, honestly, if you think about this movie. I'll say this. I had not seen this movie, um, I don't think. Uh, it was one of those movies as I was watching it, I was like, I don't I don't actually think I've ever seen this. And I the, had this the, I had the same exact reaction. This, I like remember the trailer and I remember you know the title, Birthday Girl, right? I just being like, okay. I didn't realize it was basically just a very dark comedy, you know, like before I press play. And I will say there are moments I, I, I and I and I also thought it was a hugely panned movie and that's not even true it basically was a mixed reviewed movie and it made half of its money back like it wasn't some huge debacle like i keep i think i connected with original sin because it came out the same year and it's also a mail order bride movie starring another great actress and that movie was panned and really was a bomb and i think i in my head i connected two of them but i don't know glenn had you seen birthday girl before i mean i'm assuming yes i don't know yeah i'd seen it back in uh when it would have been out on dvd right definitely didn't see it yeah definitely didn't see it in the cinema my understanding was that this movie uh was uh made i want to say maybe two or three years earlier um Mm. i i I was reading about it that because part it was part of it was made actually in australia because nicole wanted to be in australia with tom while he was filming mission impossible 2 2 right Uh, and so so i guess the timeline goes that they made it and it sort of sat around on the shelf and then it was a Miramax release and they, they were releasing the others and uh, Moulin Rouge had been a hit. And so I think they were just like, Oh, Hey, we've got this Nicole Nicole Kidman movie. Like her movies are making money. Let's get it out there. I don't think it works. Um, I, uh, I feel it feels like an odd choice for Nicole Kidman. um, Even if you considered that it was made in uh the towards the end of maybe 99 or 2000 sure right. yeah, yeah um it, it feels like the sort of film she she would have been making in that early 90s stretch yeah. like my life and malice yeah and billy bathgate where not things aren't really i mean you know they're just they're just sort of plugging her into a spot i think i i think the film is trying to go for like a last seduction style uh crime noir vibe i don't think it works particularly well i think the british angle it's angle it's you know set in england um i just it makes for a very drab looking film unfortunately um i do like having uh cassell and i can never pronounce his surname so i will that's the one yeah yeah. uh sort of back from back working together they were both were they both in lahane yeah 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 yeah. directed lahane and he's in it but the cassell's like the main guy yeah so i kind of liked they they're sort of teaming back on screen yeah of the movie when they come in right it's one of those you're right when they when um it's funny because Destroyer kind of has a little bit of this too, which we'll talk about later. But but like when they come into the movie, you're kind of like, all right, here we go. Like they kind of literally bring the movie yeah. into the movie, which is kind of nice. But then you're right. It kind of never – it never squares like the two things together. And it's funny like to a, to a different degree. BMX Bandits is a little bit like this where like you read about what Trencher Smith was like. I wanted to make like an Ealing comedy. And you're like, okay. <laughs> 
saying? Like you're like he, there's sure. moments, there's <laughs> moments where you can see what he means, but then you're like, yeah, but you had kids on BMX bikes. He's like, yeah, I wanted to make an Ealing comedy, but you know, like for kids, and you're like, okay, okay, yeah. And, I guess and so you have a little bit of that thing. in this where it's like the tone is like, it's funny. But some really serious shit's happening. I don't know. It's it's a it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It never really settles on a, on on a particularly uh, good tone uh, throughout the whole thing. But I guess it just for for a film that appears to be wanting to be grounded, uh, like it never st- struck me as. I mean, at one point uh, in the film, Ben Chaplin's character is forced to uh, commit. A, a crime and go on the run and like it doesn't even seem like anyone like i don't know is it's is it that it's hard chasing, to find yeah. someone that looks like a russian woman that looks like nicole kidman uh down a <laughs> down a in the rest in like you know the the diners down the highway i mean it feels for, like it just doesn't feel like it, there's any urgency to yeah. what's happening there's, yeah, like, that's a, a there's, good point. there's like a constant there's like a constant contrast between like a really dark super serious kind of noir thing that you mentioned glenn and then this like whimsy that's like yeah plugged in there and there are other movies that do those kind of things successfully especially around this time too i feel like people were just trying that kind of thing like how how much can we subvert one genre or the other and i i agree with you dan like i just don't think it ever really finds whatever that pitch perfect balance is that said i mean i don't know i think in i don't think this movie is the sum of its parts but i think the parts themselves are kind of interesting like i can see it with the kidman portion of it like i i think you're right glenn it feels like something she would have done like way earlier in her career but i can also see like what would be appealing to a performer about this what I was going to say earlier, like, yeah. And I was going to say earlier, Jez Butterworth at this point had already made some prominent plays. So you could, you could understand this being, you know, a smaller movie that a daring actress like Nicole Kidman is pitched and she knows Mm. Jez Butterworth's work. And it's kind of like, all right, like, you know, he, he has a voice. You know, I get to kind of speak Russian, right? Do do a kind of a different type because she speaks Russian for the majority of this movie. And right? when it's she's like not, she, it's like a wordless performance. So I, uh, to yeah, me, mm. I can see how that could be like appealing from like a physical performance kind of. Standpoint. Yeah, I certainly don't think of of the four movies we're going to talk about. I think this is the like maybe worse is a strong word, but it's the least of her performances. Least yeah. I think it's the least distinctive just as a film. It, yes. No, I mean, yeah, I think it's perfectly fine. I think it's like three stars out of five, two and a half. Yeah, I gave it two and a half. If, yeah, you, yeah. if you're like, you know, having a bad day. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it just does, it, it didn't really work. But coming at the time that it did with – uh, Moulin Rouge and the others. It was it was bundled up as this sort of year well, and, of Nicole's emergence. And it is it ha- for for kind of is almost this movie too, where like that happens to actors and actresses where like she didn't get nominated or she got nominated for Moulin Rouge, but yeah. but yeah. but the others was this monster hit Moulin Rouge big hit, and then that happens right like. Um, I'm trying to think of the recent example of that where it's like you have three movies and there's always the third movie where people are like, well, not that one. 
<laughs> and I'm trying, there, but it does happen. It's it's not uncommon where it can just work like that. Where like the studios and the marketing people, to your point, Glenn, like birthday girls sitting there, and Miramax is like, by the way, isn't it funny now when that Miramax fanfare comes up? I it sucks now. Now I'm like, oh, fucking Miramax. <laughs> I just yeah, feel at bad. least it's, it's not like, the other one. It's at least it's not the one with the guy's name, right? Right there. It's true. In, in, That's in true. The distributor name. So. You're right. You're right. I mean, it's small, just like, small mercies. <laughs> yeah, it's you're right. Don't take small mercies. I think it's 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 his, it's his parents' name, if I remember the origin That's, of that. Uh, yeah, I think so. But um, but so yeah, it's pretty. I guess it's you call it harmless. You know, it's kind of a a, a cop out. Uh, but but that's a, what I think of birth control. I guess that surprised me though. I turned it on, kind of expecting, like I said, more like an. A, I mean, the original Sin is harmless, too. It's not like it's the worst movie ever made. But it's like, I think I expected more of a, like, a debacle or something. And it's kind of just like a movie where, yeah, like we're talking about, you're like, all right, they were trying something, didn't really work. You know, Ben yeah. Chaplin, I like, but I think he's an actor. Yeah, he, the thing he's doing in the Thin Red Line, you know, it's perfect because it's it's like very compassionate, very soft spoken, very lovely, right? For lack of a better word. And I think when you put him in the lead and the bit is like he's a punching bag, right? Where it's like he's a punching bag and the truth about cats and dogs, but it's like funnier. And the women around him there's they are stronger right there's more happening and it's like that it can work there but here it just kind of he kind of falls away and the supporting characters yeah Kasavik and castle really take the movie away even from kidman and it's kind of an interesting uh moment but yeah it's definitely like the other movie in 01 for her yeah uh, i i definitely think it would have been better without butterworth's uh, directing yeah. i kind of wondered uh, i imagined what it would be like if say danny boyle had directed it sure. right you know someone like i mean he had shallow grave yeah and similar had, um, that's, that's was it a, a good... life less ordinary the one yeah, with yeah. ewan mcgregor and cameron Deere? like i feel like if it had i know a life less ordinary isn't particularly well liked but if it had that sort of energy to it no, but yeah, yeah, i think right, it could have right. or even someone a bit more uh bit more i don't want to say extreme but someone a bit uh like even even more uh out there even guy Ritchie, right yeah this sort of like you know this this crime story i think there's a really good plot basically i just don't necessarily think it plays out in a particularly exciting way and uh nicole at least i think her russian is better here than on that uh, nine perfect strangers television show oh god is that uh, so uh, my wife watches that show it's like <laughs> I, is it like a nordic accent is that no, is it i think she's meant to be russian i okay, think she's wow. meant to be russian wow yeah, yeah. okay yeah. okay I, i'm <laughs> enjoying the just, show but maybe she was just <laughs> trying a little accent. harder in i do love i do love that now every time david e kelly makes another one of these shows everybody's like wait but you're married to michelle pfeiffer you can't just give michelle a role on the show or there's all these i do think it's funny um but so yeah i mean that's birthday girl i don't think we need to um i don't think we need to um spend too much more time on it i mean glenn like you said it's a big year for her um you know two years two years earlier she has eyes wide shut which is a movie i obviously love and then um 
there's a two year old kinky sex. She was really into kinky sex. She was loving that kinky sex. Yeah. And, and, um, and then obviously her marriage to Tom Cruise ends. She does, but you know, we should say Tom Cruise does produce the others, which is one of her biggest hits. Uh, Moulin Rouge is a huge hit. Birthday Girl comes out. The Hours is 02. She wins her Oscar, of course. Um, Dogville, um, Glenn, you mentioned earlier, that comes out the next year. That's a movie I love. I know it's a little mixed. Uh, oh, yeah. it's. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I love Dogville. And then, Connor, do you like Dogville? I haven't seen it since like, long time. college. Yeah. yeah, so I'd have to. I don't think I like loved it at the time that I saw it. So I'd, What I'd everybody should watch is dogville confessions mm. uh, which is i don't know glenn if you you know this right it's the oh, I do. when yep. they were making dogville <laughs> they had a camera in a booth for the crew or the cast and crew and it's this documentary where they all go in and complain about lars von trier <laughs> i feel like especially I- paul bettany my god yeah. paul bettany he goes into that fucking. I mean, always a very honest guy. God bless him. And like, whatever. That guy goes into that booth and is just like this fucking guy, Lars Vontry. <laughs> he's just ripping him apart. There are uh, clips. There are clips of uh, Dogville Confessions in the trailer for Dogville. Uh, oh, interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, I, I went back. Yeah, what was it? Two thousand four. Uh, yeah, I purchased a, a my peak uh, of, of a of of a Kidman fan. I the bought mania. a Jap- yeah. I, it was either Japanese or Korean DVD uh, of Dogville. It came in a big, uh, looked like a, I guess like a cigar box. Uh, and it, and it had a film strip from oh, the, uh, like an actual 35 millimeter film strip. It had this thick book in it. It had the DVD. It had confessions on it. It was great. That kind of <laughs> sounds cool. As a sucker for packaging for really cool packaging. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Actually. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think I still have it. I think so. It's it, it's probably in a box in my parents' garage. That's great. And so, yeah, I'm just looking at her filmography now. Yeah, we mentioned The Human Stain. That's kind of a, an Oscar play that goes sideways. That movie, I mean, just based on a Philip Roth book, my God, that movie is a choice. God bless. Um, Cold Mountain is the big movie in 03 in terms of Hollywood um it wins reese uh reese um i was gonna say renee. reese witherspoon god yeah. my renee. god renee i apologize <laughs> renee wins her oscar her first oscar we also didn't for, mention the uh, hours which is another i mentioned i mentioned the hours oh yeah because yeah, she wins she, her oscar yeah right? she wins her oscar so, for the hours yeah yeah, yeah. by yeah, nose Steven. as denzel said so steven Oh God! Yeah. Do you remember that? Right. <laughs> we 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 don't talk about how Denzel disrespected uh, Nicole. <laughs> yeah, Oscar weirdly disrespectful. Like, yeah. Like was no it... no don't don't put it all on just a fake nose. That has now been a myth that has just like continued throughout. Now the can years, I ask you? Qu- I'm glad this off. I'm glad this came up actually because I forgot about that. As much as I love Denzel, of course, but. Was there like another person? Would, it, would, would there have been a reason? Like, was Julia Roberts nominated or something? Like, would, would there have been a reason Denzel was like, let me get a shot in before I, I always thought it was meant. I always like thought it's a it was a dad just joke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I always yeah. assumed it was just something that played really terribly, but really it, was just completely harmless. And by a nose. Yeah, I yeah. Like, I thought yeah. Yeah. He, he was just being cute. You know, and like, it's, I do that's, think I, that's what he thought. But no, no, that's right. not that's how it ended yeah, up. Of course, of course. I can't, I can't remember who was the host. Maybe it was Steve Martin, but the joke he or she, whoever the host was made, was like, 
Um, what people don't know is that Nicole Kidman has worn a fake nose in every movie she's ever made in the hours she finally got to uh, have a real <laughs> nose. I did think that was a funny joke. That's, a, that's, that. that's a good one. That's a good joke, yeah. Um, yeah, and then, like, you know, just getting to fur – it's kind of a weird run. The Stefford Wives obviously is a miss. The Frank Oz picture, the remake. Birth, Jonathan Glazer movie, a movie I need to rewatch, came out and really offended people. Like people forget. Like it's I think it's pretty loved now by cinephiles, not by a lot of people. I but thought like, about picking it as one of the B sides. Yeah, I yeah. I guess it would still be a B side. But like Can I can I ahead. tell you that it's my favorite? Nicole Kidman movie. I was gonna ask. I thought you want to do that, a quick tight if... five on Birth. You want to just yeah. What do you love about Birth? <laughs> tell, tell us what you love uh, about Birth. <laughs> so I've seen I've seen Birth. Every it, it randomly does pop up in cinemas uh, down here. I don't know why. It just for some reason whoever owns the rights to it must be like yeah you can have it. Um, so every time <laughs> it's playing somewhere, I, I make I seek it out, and every time it just. It just gets me like I it's I'm not I'm not a crier at the movies, but for whatever reason, birth really gets that. Well, that theater scene. Oh, that scene, the ending, I just think is so emotional, so powerful because it is so ambiguous. Yeah, Uh, I just think the filmmaking is extraordinary. It's I think it's Glazer's best film, Um, but it's kind of interesting, like. Because that film uh, is quite symbolic, I think, of this p- period of of her career because she is working with Glazer. She does work with Noah Baumbach on movies that yeah. clearly she saw these directors' first films. Mm. In the case of Glazer, it was Sexy Beast, uh, if, if I'm not yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Yep. Baumbach's case, it was Squid and the Whale. And but the the films that she makes with them, she's clearly just like, I want to work with you. Give me what you've got. And would they they don't necessarily all work with the public. Um, yeah. This is a stretch of of her career where that's quite where she was deemed, you know, uh, to be, you know, box office poison. I believe is the uh, incredibly well, ridiculous has, term. She, but yeah, she has a Catherine Hepburn moment, right? Yeah, that's kind of what exactly. happened to Hepburn. Hepburn popped, and then she couldn't get Jane Eyre, right? It was because she was deemed box office poison. I think it was in the late '30s, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, it's a similar moment where she wins the Oscar. I mean, look, Halle Berry. Yeah. I mean, Halle Berry. Similar thing happened happens to Halle Berry after Monsters Ball, right? It's like, but I, but yeah. I think in Kidman's case, she's at least making interesting, interesting movies. Yeah, interesting I was going to say she, that's the great thing. She's that's got the, very true. Very she's true. got, yeah. I think, one of the better, you know, post Oscar runs out yeah. of like any movie star that you could think of. And and she spoke and she's spoken about this. It, she said that you know this was she was she was single she was no longer married and she was just working she was working 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 and i believe the story is she the night she won the oscar for the hours the very next morning she was on a plane over to denmark to continue filming dogville, dogville. i mean she wasn't even giving herself time to rest but she was finding these interesting auteurs because clearly by now she was like okay I can actually do what I want to do, and that is give filmmakers like Jonathan Glazer the chance to bring whatever their vision is to life. And I think that is 
one of the really defi- the definitive traits of Nicole as an actress and why I like her so much and why she's so well loved, at least by cinephiles, uh, because she just she's definitely not risk averse she will she'll do the paper boy uh she will urinate on zach efron if you want her to like she will like so you know it's and and yeah and i just think birth to bring it back uh to the glazer film is just uh yeah it's it's oh it's extraordinary well we you know we sometimes talk about when when we talk about these big you know talents these big stars you know what it is about. You know what it is. What is it about this person that makes them such a star? And I do think. I mean, this might be reductive. Even I literally think with Nicole Kidman, it's ability. Like I literally yeah. think mm. Nicole Kidman is the the kid in the classroom who's just the most prepared, the hardest working. You know the, you know, and and also probably the smartest. You know as well, right? I mean, she always seems like you know. When you get to that high echelon of of female of actresses, you know you're always going to mention Meryl and all these things. But in truth, I do think Nicole Kidman, like she almost takes the ball, like the Meryl Street ball, and and runs further with it. To your point, Glenn, because she's working with these more radical filmmakers. Not that not that Street hasn't worked with those directors, but I would argue Kidman it's even a more diversified portfolio. Like, you know, like you're talking about, like she gets in the tub with Cameron Bright, who's 10 years old in birth. And people are like, what the fuck is this? And she defends it. And it's totally, I think from an artistic perspective, reasonable. I mean, there's nothing, you know, people reacted to it. That's what art does. It's meant to provoke. That's okay. But like, she's not hiding behind things. She's not apologizing for it. She's going out there and like Dogville, there's a million things in that. Like, this is a period where, you know, and fur as a transition, fur has a little bit of that. It's to a lesser degree. You know, uh, Steven Schoenberg directs Secretary, which gets a decent amount of play in the indie circuit, does okay. It's a bit coming out party for Maggie Gyllenhaal, of course. It's a movie that, of course, the whole prem- the whole crux of the movie is, speaking of kinks, right? The whole movie is, is you know, kinks, but as as a tool for healing right it's not some like horrible you know you know oh what is this like look away taboo you know it's meant to be it's a very i would argue very sex positive movie years before you're that that becomes a common thing that you know even now we're still many people are still kind of trying to wrap their heads around right in this very kind of at least in america right we live in a very yeah, I feel like it's a very prude culture, as we know, and I think that's still something we're fighting against. But yeah, I mean, Fur, Connor, or or Glenn, either one of you want to talk a little bit about what Fur's about? Robert Downey Jr.'s in it. A good, a good RDJ performance, I'd say. Yeah, I can. What do you I'll, think? I'll take this one. Give uh, us a little Fur synopsis. Dean Arbus. Yeah. So. Yeah, the full title, Fur, an Imaginary Portrait of Dean Arbus, is just that, right? It's sort of a, a fictionalized uh, kind of spiritual representation of Dean Arbus's what she might have been going through or feeling while creating her work, which, if you don't know about it, the short version is basically, you know, she made her career as a photographer, um, kind of documenting marginalized groups, right? So... 
and maybe not even in the way we'd think of the term now, but just more specifically, like people with physical deformities, people on the outskirts of society in terms of like cross dress, cross dressing, uh, nudists, things like that. So. Um, so this kind of the movie basically sort of takes that ball and runs with it in terms of lumping a lot of these types of things and feelings and themes into one like very condensed uh, relationship that Nicole Kidman as Dean Arbus has with a man who's living uh, upstairs above her apartment. She's married to uh, what's his name? I can't think of his Todd name. Burrell. Yeah. Todd, yeah. Todd. Ty Bro, who's Alan Arbus, who became an actor yeah, in real life. After yeah, this, yeah. yeah, who was in MASH. Um, yeah, he's, ma- he's major in MASH. So yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize that was, yeah, anyway. <laughs> and um, and yeah, I think the movie, now I I only did like some cursory research on like the differences, you know, obvious, or like the, you know, uh, her actual life in terms of like what this movie was pulling from. From what I understand, she had a pretty good relationship with her husband, um, at least a generally like, amicable one even after they separated and kind of went their separate ways um i think the it seems you know the movie kind of dives a little bit more into it as kind of a um like a jilted lover scenario as sort of dn becomes more infatuated with robert denny jr who is this uh <laughs> i don't even know what to call it like i he basically is a man who has this condition that essentially covers his body in fur. His hair grows at the street. Well, yeah, it's it's hypertrichosis. Yeah. And it's a real thing, right? Like, um, you know, I would have to think the he's called his name's Lionel Sweeney. And I, I didn't read this, but I'm 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 assuming that Shane Berg is referencing by calling him Lionel uh, Stephen Burbowski, who was the Lionel the Lion Face Man in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He was a sideshow shy, shy, shy performer. And then, of course, Jacques Cousteau's Beauty and the Beast, right? Like yeah, the yeah. design feels of very G- evocative of that. Yeah, the yeah. design of Downey Jr. in the picture is, I mean, it, and even the story is a it's little Beauty and the Beauty Beast. And the Beast. Right, yeah. right. So, so. Um, and that's you know, kind of that, it. She develops this it. relationship. Yeah, that's it. yeah, she, yeah. As, as she sort of starts to explore I, what becomes the subject matter of her very famous photography. Here's, I think, and Glenn, you can tell us, obviously, what you think about this movie. I mean, I basically liked it. I think it's ambitious in its reach. I think it basically ultimately doesn't work. I think the ending is, the last two minutes are, is, is bad. Is like an actively bad ending to a movie where you're like, "Oh, why? Why did this happen? Why would you end it?" Like, I I just think the choice made. It has this like cute, like superhero ending. It's a very the way I I really the last ninety seconds really Dean Arbus or origins hit me bad. I'll be honest. I think the the problems, if there are problems, and I you know in my opinion there are, uh, you know. It's really more about Robert Downey Jr.'s character, right? That's, I think, a fundamental flaw in the movie. You're making a Dean Arbus picture, but, like, the more interesting character is this guy, Lionel. And I think that speaks also to just Robert Downey Jr. excels in this type of a role, which we can talk about. I mean, those eyes are, like, 
a secret weapon for him, obviously. But the uh, the other problem is that I it's it's a miscast, I think, in the world of Nicole Kidman. I mean, she should not have, in my opinion, played Dean Arbus. I mean, she doesn't look like Dean Arbus, right? And it's like there's really nothing about Dean Arbus that Nicole. I just it's a it's a square peg round hole thing. Um. Anyway, Glenn, well, you you go for a minute on fur. Well, I did see Connor was wanting to pipe I didn't, in with I'm, something. No, there. no, no. Well, all go. I was gonna say, all I was gonna say <laughs> to piggyback off of that is just that, yeah, like I think kid, it it would seem, and I this is me speculating, but it would seem that she was probably more attracted to the nature of the project and the idea of like we're not going to make a move. Like we're not going to make a biography. We're just, gonna, right. we're going to make this right. evocative yeah. thing, which I, which I think is, it is, it is very, it is evocative. Is a good no, word. No, no, for it's, it. I think it's, that's, it's yeah. it reminded me a lot of like, I'm not there or something like that. Right. Yeah. It's like, you're not going to, you're not going to make the biopic. You'll make a thing that feels like the spirit of the person's work. And I totally get that. And I feel like that's also why it ultimately is doomed to become Robert Downey Jr.'s movie, just because of the way they're approaching the picture but i agree that like yeah it doesn't leave a ton of i think she's i think she's good in this movie i think she's fine but i it just doesn't leave her a ton of room to do anything like truly amazing with it um but yeah anyway sorry glenn you you go ahead yeah no i think i i'm echoing uh your sentiments i it's a film i i respect more than enjoyed watching i i i think it's pretty an it's a very impenetrable film because it goes word, to yeah. that miscasting of Nicole Kidman. I don't think, yeah, that sort of, it's actually very much, it's the cliche Julianne Moore role of the sad 1950s housewife. I just don't, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't get that projected off of Nicole Kidman in fur. I think, you know, she's she she does have her trademark whispering, uh, thing that she she's done in quite a few projects. Uh, this one is like all whispering all the time. <laughs> it's I sometimes wanted her to just sort of speak in her in her real in in her voice uh, a little bit louder every now and then. Yeah, I just don't I I don't think the film offers enough of an insight into Dion Arbus. But having said that, I am all for filmmakers doing this sort of interesting thing with uh, quote-unquote famous people's lives. Like, if there's one person who does not need a traditional biopic made about her, it's Dion Arbus. Right, right. Like, that would be such a betrayal of of the work. work yeah sure like and, and that's and i get that um quite often with so i i watch and i write a lot about documentaries and so often i watch documentaries about artists who were radical who were like so interesting and the films are just you know the documentaries are so just you know birth to death sure the like the very typical narrative and i don't think someone like dion arbus warrants that sort of uh sort of film i do like this sort of warped take on a biopic i think it definitely works uh in that regard but as a 
film that you sit down for two hours to watch. Yeah. Uh, I Yeah, Downey Jr. probably, his character would have been probably a more interesting uh, subject. But I also just, yeah, I, I just don't think it would have worked either way. But it is, well, I think it's really well crafted. It looks great. Um, and... Yeah, the production yeah. design is incredible. I mean, yeah. it's a beautifully rendered picture. I mean, yeah. and it is a film where where Dion's entire and this is very fitting for a Nicole Kidman film. It is a movie in which the lead character's entire mental state is told in variations of wig. <laughs> it, at the start, it is very pulled back. Very like slick back, so many pins. It yeah. not a hair out well, of the place. Nicole, and by I mean, the end, should... it is long and flowing. She literally wears a vest made out of human hair. <laughs> so I, <laughs> yeah, know, we, I think we should for say someone wig... whose entire career has been wigs. I well, think that's what it's I was gonna very... say. Nicole and her wigs. You, Glenn, she you loves should, a wig. You, you should write a book. Nicole I, loves a wig. <laughs> not to jump ahead, but I feel like when we get to it, I feel like Destroyer is an interesting culmination of uh, of all that. Oh, of the wigs I, that that is quite quite a wig this um quite an experience i think destroyer the title ref- is referencing the wig <laughs> did you um <laughs> i i was reminded of this while watching fur i was reminded of the movie uh million dollar hotel yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's, it's like, more of a, it's vim vendor e yeah vim Vendor-y. The, yeah i what i was thinking of while watching it and as we're talking about kind of nicole kidman's sort of weird sidelining in this movie is i was thinking like oh would this have been a better movie if it didn't if it didn't attempt to include her as a character well and so what connor's what connor's referencing is million the the million dollar hotel is a pretty interesting movie from a few years earlier by vim vendors with the score by bono actually yeah it's a pretty pretty good score and it's like mel gibson jeremy davies mila jovovich and the whole impetus of the movie is edward hopper paintings in a movie so yeah. like if you know edward hopper he one of his most famous paintings is i don't know in the name of the nighthawks well nighthawks but but i'm thinking of he has a famous painting of looking into hotel rooms he has a few like of them, but yeah that's like yeah, that yeah. Was like one of and so five. the million dollar hotel along with stuff like Nighthawks, but the most the most direct example is like, what if we went into those hotel rooms, right? That's like the idea of the movie. And it's a pretty interesting experiment of a movie. And it, it's an interesting point. Like, do you take Deanne's, Arbus's works and render them without her being the focal point is an interesting y- thought. Yeah, sure. the film wasn't granted access by yes. the estate the, to even the use Arbus's Deanne estate. Arbus's works. So yeah. Yeah. you sort of... It's, yeah. it's, uh, did anybody, I can't remember what it was called, uh, but did anybody see that doc, uh, sorry, not documentary, that biopic about David Bowie that yeah, came Stardust. out? Yeah, Stardust. I didn't see it. Stardust yeah. that had no David Bowie songs in well, it. That's and like, every I time mean, he comes out on stage, he performs someone else's song. It's very bizarre. It's almost like, like that, but they get away with well, it more. Do you remember the, Jim, the Jimi Hendrix biopic yeah. that um I think John Ridley Andre, directed. With Andre Benjamin. With Andre Benjamin, which yeah. I do think people thought his performance was quite good. And, you know, Andre Benjamin is a, is a good actor, but they couldn't get the rights to a lot of his songs. And so, like, in that movie, I think it's like there's like three songs they were able to have him play. So that's tough. I mean, and to your point, yeah, 
the fur gets away with it more for sure but yeah the arbus estate did, did not allow any of her her pictures to be her photos to be shown so it's a strange it's a strange thing i will say like there are highlights like a photo is taken of downey jr at the end of this picture not really a spoiler because i won't spoil the context of it but like it's a beautiful moment like it's a beautiful moment like there are lovely moments in this movie and i think to think about downey jr only 18 months later is iron man and there's a sadness to that you know we we me and connor were lucky enough to be on blake howard's the zodiac chronicles and we talked about zodiac and we kind of echoed similar things there zodiac comes out only a few months after this and is one of downey jr's greatest performances and it's kind of you know he's so good in iron man and i would not want to take that away from anybody okay but there is an inherent sadness to watch for and think and about th- what we could have the comeback we well just <laughs> just that just that a, a decade was lost and, yeah. and and lost is too is too harsh because i was in that theater for endgame and i saw how much the crowd was affected by the Tony Stark character. And that does mean something. I don't want to take that away. I, I just, it makes me a little sad where he essentially did a TV show for a, a decade, which even if it was a good TV show, that's what it was. With $200 yeah. million dollar Can, episodes. Yeah. So I, I just was looking up, up yeah. uh, his filmography. Well, uh, just after when I finished watching fur and yeah, in the couple years before Iron Man, you had, Fur, you had Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, yep. yeah. Good Night and Good Luck, yeah. A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints, A Scanner Darkly, Zodiac, and then Iron Man hits, and it's pretty much 80% franchises between yeah. Marvel, oh, yeah. Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, and you get it you get a judge you get a judge you get a do little you know but i mean <laughs> we don't need to go down the rabbit hole but we all got to do little we all truly a cursed movie that one <laughs> <Truly> <laughs> a curse. i will say i saw connor knows this i uh there was a period of time i was taking my wife down to her, her uh school after work so night school right and it was one of those things where sometimes it was a three-hour class and it was far enough away where depending on my schedule, I would just go see a movie, right? Because it was just like whatever. And I one fateful night, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go see Doolittle. You did little. Yeah. And I saw Doolittle in a theater, <laughs> I believe by myself. I believe by myself. And I will oh. say I watched it and it's one of those movies um, – you know, most Hollywood movies are mostly ADR'd, right? Additional dialogue recording, just because of the way production works. But you'll never, you usually not notice it because, you know, it's it syncs sound and there's a reference point and whatnot. That is a movie. It was so chopped. If you watch it, if you guys ever do watch it, like, nope. 80% <laughs> of the movie. But this is Glenn. 70 percent you can't 65%. see it listener, but glenn's like leaning back and he's kind just, of got his arms crossed and he's like you can't make me do it i won't do it <laughs> you know nor 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 would i ever make you glenn but but <laughs> over half of the picture the the lit lips are not seen on screen while lines are said because i would imagine of the the remaking of the movie in post, right? Which which was pretty well documented, right? So it's just a fascinating, you know, 
like arc of art like artifact of just production of just like <laughs> I, what anyway i would yeah. just like to say you are so lucky you're married because can you explain can you imagine having to explain on a date that you went to go see doolittle by yourself by myself. <laughs> I don't know. my wife god bless her i mean she Five years. There was a pandemic right was, around the corner, and right. you chose to spend some of your last well, Glenn, times in a known, movie seat. Do little. If I had known that, Glenn. I mean, we, you know, but um, but but no, I mean, so I mean, yeah, fur, fur. Bring it back to fur. I mean, I was saying Downey Jr.'s, you know, he's covered in fur, literally. Or he's 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 all he's he has this disease, and he looks. He kind of has this beast-like uh, Cousteau look to him and everything. Um, but I think it does highlight the thing about him. Like, he is, he has a very empathetic demeanor. Well, he's which got, I and he's that. got puppy dog eyes, right? Like, Right, right. Which, yeah. which I, actually, one funny thing I wanted to say is it's, it's another kind of weird, sad thing about the Iron Man that will kind of take him away from these things is, an interesting thing about fur is in real life, Alan Arbus, right, who Ty Burrell plays, you know what his first feature film role was? He was in Robert Downey Sr.'s masterpiece, Putney Swope. Whoa. Oh, isn't wow. that isn't that isn't that weird? Wild. Yeah. And it just and it just feels like I guess my point is fur feels like a movie Robert Downey Sr. R.I.P. would have loved. <laughs> Probably, actually. Not that he wouldn't, not that he didn't love the Iron Man movies. I'm just saying. You know what I mean? It's I just don't a, think, I I don't don't think I Robert Downey Sr. liked the Iron Man Who's movies. Do you think Robert Downey Sr. saw the Iron Man movie like that? Like, I think he saw the nice stuff it got him, probably. Yeah, sure. Right, know. right, sure. But, but, um, <laughs> I will say, yeah. I, you know, we were talking about Nicole, how we thought Nicole was probably, um, somewhat miscast i do think robert downey jr is actually perfectly cast yeah, because you need someone who is so charismatic totally. to be hidden behind because there is only one point in the movie where you actually see right. his face and so you he, he really that character does need to be told through the eyes through yeah. his voice and i yeah so isn't uh, it a little yeah, good choice didn't you guys i i always feel weird and it's not really this movie's fault and obviously i'm glad it's robert downey jr but i do always feel a little weird when movies with this kind of theme or message when it's like you know the for the one moment where there is no fur it's like well thank god it's robert downey jr right because he's very handsome like you know what i mean it's not like he's like some hideous chud you know the one the other thing could have been they could have they could have cast Ben Chaplin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, a, little, a little birthday girl reunion. <laughs> I was like, you didn't have a, you didn't have a 92 or uh, wait, when was uh, Beauty and the Beast? 91? Yeah, 90, yeah 91. The Disney one. Right. And everyone has the joke about that, that like in that movie, the beast is more handsome than like the dude that is right, underneath right, or whatever. Right. But, um, but yeah, I was also, my wife pointed this out as we were watching it is, <laughs> When he walks around town, when he goes out, uh, RDJ has this seemingly homemade mask that he puts on, which is... Looks like Leatherface. Yeah, which is a thousand times more terrifying than his <laughs> fur-covered face. Like Totally. I, definitely. Even, yeah, for the, like, even for the time period, if you're walking around New York and you're covered in fur, I feel like even at that time, it, people would be like, oh, well, he's a little weird, as opposed to like, it's very, who's this murderer? It is, it is very Jason Voorhees yeah. in Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, where he just wore a sack on his. Yeah, head. well, it's, I was gonna say it's it's, it's very it's very Scarecrow yeah. from Batman. It's, yeah, it's horrifying. It's truly 
nightmare fuel. But um. but so I mean, you know, sadly, I suppose the movie kind of barely gets released. It's a it's a it's a picture house movie. Which you want to talk about fanfares that made me <laughs> sad for a different reason. I picture house. It made me I sad. The same thing. It made me sad because that you will never get a picture house again. I mean, the 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 early aughts was you had Warner Independent, you had Picture House, you had these like mid major, you had yes, like, yeah. st- studio supported kind of um, pocket stu- uh, side studios. The other one that like, made Roadside was one of them. Yeah, yeah, that made shit like this. You know, a sixteen to seventeen million dollar budgeted picture that like you could not kidnap someone to make this movie now. Like, (laughs) I mean, and so that's the other reason I think I'm a little bit more amenable to it maybe is because I'm just like, man, they, you know, Shane Berg like made a Sundance movie and he, how about this? Shane Berg made a Sundance movie and then didn't make freaking, you know, vampire superhero seven starring who God knows who or whatever. I don't know. Like he made this, like this is, this trajectory doesn't exist anymore. Right. It's not, you know, the Trevor trajectory, right. The like safety, not guaranteed to Jurassic world is what you get, which is just kind of that. This is just less interesting. It's just less interesting. I will say this maybe does still feel like the movie that would have been the one for me that someone would make after the one for them type thing. I guess, like, but you know, you know, the, they don't make a lot of one for me's these. No, 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 no. I like, I still, I agree with you. I don't think a movie like, like, like this would like, get made, I hope like, Chloe Zhao proves me wrong. Sure. Chloe <laughs> prove me wrong, make Eternals and then make some, I don't know, but I just, I, it, it is a rare thing that happens anyway. Can you just we, imagine the whiplash of, going from secretary to instead of for he went to iron man that's right. what but that's like, like, yeah. that's like that's what it would be now yeah. but like can you imagine the director of secretary making yeah a marvel or a dc movie well and it speaks i mean look it speaks to the infrastructure of these studios and these industries that like we don't get a josh trank situation every other year because like you would think you would get more things like that where you'd get a young director so burdened by by purpose and and responsibility and 200 million dollar budgets and what have you there's such assembly that, lines though that like that's what i'm saying yeah. that's what i'm saying you know feige and these people and look this is in a way a compliment i suppose like it's so they're so locked in with the the mission that like you the the filmmakers are another tool which is sad in a way of course but you know anyway so fur comes out sadly kind of doesn't really play this is a bit of a weird moment for her nothing's really hitting right separate wives isn't hitting birth though it's kind of beloved now like i said doesn't really hit the interpreter's like a soft hit that is actually kind of a fun movie, except for the horrible last 20 minutes. Bewitched is a miss. As we know, Fur comes out, barely gets recognized. The Invasion's a debacle, right? Which Ooh. is, that that could have been a B-side. Yeah, that's I, a, I almost thought about picking that, but... That's that's just famously a movie, speaking of Josh Trank, where like the, they, the director, they were just like, hey man, back away from the movie. Literally, <laughs> don't come near the movie anymore we're gonna take this movie we're just gonna, we're gonna make it, it again james mcteague 
took, took well over. he came in yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but but is is olivier uh hirschbuckle yeah Hirschbuckle. yeah who did uh downfall right and so and then glenn you've mentioned a couple of times margo at the wedding a, a fairly hated film by yeah. a lot of people very emblematic of her reputation as being cold, as being mm. unlikable. I think this is the and it the wasn't peak. helped by her making movies in which she plays unlikable well, people. Say- but people put that that character yeah. trait onto her, oh, which is her. why yeah. to explain why her yeah. movies weren't. Doing but what did well you say? This office. is this is peak cold Nicole, right? Like this role is like. Yeah. I mean, it is with a razor's edge. She is just I- like. I mean, I feel like daring I'm, you to hate her. I'm definitely in that camp of like hating, hating this movie. Um, but I will attack. Like, I remember thinking at the time, though, like, oh, like she's doing great work. Like, she's very effective in that film. Uh, but yeah, it, I, I really like Margot at the wedding. Did, I, yeah. I tend to. I tend to prefer Baumbach's words being spoken by actresses. Sure. For some, for some reason, like I, yeah, I think of Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story mm-hmm. and uh, Greta Gerwig in Frances Ha, and um, who's is it? Laura Linney in Squid and the Whale. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Like I, I just for some reason just hearing his dialogue spoken by women, I feel is I don't know it. I don't, I don't get the same reaction out of his male stars. So interesting, I did really like Margot at the wedding, where it is Nicole Kidman and Jennifer Jason Lee, sort of as you know these very acidic sparring sisters. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm a fan of that one. What am I? I will say I, I'm not a huge. I got to rewatch Margot at the wedding to be honest, but because I, I didn't like Margot at the wedding, but then I loved Greenberg, which made me think like, well, I have, I should, I probably would like Margot because the, they're very, the, the I would. They're his two meanest movies, I would say, right? Greenberg and Margot at the Wedding are very, like, just his meanest, you know, like, post, right in the middle of his person. Like, he was just, like, in very acidic films. But anyway, um, I love the joke of Margot at the Wedding where Jack Black is driving and the car barely pulls out of the driveway and he like swerves he's like oh he like freaks out and it's a, it's very relatable to me um anyway <laughs> but um so yeah that's golden compass kind of is a disappointment she's marissa coulter in that movie uh which is another cold performance actually and then there's australia which look glenn i'm gonna ask you straight up you're you're australian um this is a movie called australia it stars two australians I so here's the deal. I feel like I, I feel Glenn like you just don't, Glenn just physically recoiled everybody. But here's the thing. I feel like you're gonna say you don't like this movie, which is totally fine. I I just will say at the outset, I absolutely love this movie, and I feel like you know this maybe about me. I feel like we talked about this. We we knew each other a million years ago at Videology tri- Trivia and, and mutual friends there. Yeah. I feel like we talked about this back then. I'm I sure like we I mentioned did. It. But I'm what's sure your did. opinion? Yeah. What's your We're, thought about Australia? Bob okay. Lerman's epic. Okay, so do you guys have movies that are extremely American and you sort of have like secondhand embarrassment that sure. oh god, people yeah. are watching this and people are gonna actually think this is what we're like. Yes, yeah. Um, I true. sort of had a bit of that because I rewatched it today. I watched rewatched all two and two hours and forty five minutes of it. It's very long. And I I I think the second act is really strong. Yes. 
the droving sequence. I think the third act, I mean, where, where that's uh, one uh, in the third act, it's when uh, the Japanese during attack. World War II attack yeah. Darwin um, in the Northern Territory. Uh, I think that's strong, um, but not as strong as that second half. But that first act, oh, yeah. holy crap! Yeah, <laughs> that was that was tough. I was I was doing. I was washing the dishes. I was, <laughs> I repotted some plants. I sure. was sweeping. And every, I, every couple of minutes, I would hear a line of dialogue critics, and audibly cringe. It yeah, was crit- <laughs> Critics great. would suggest that Boz was repotting some plants on set while they were filming this. <laughs> yeah. Which is, was, which if you know the way that Boz Lerman works, that's like such an insult. Because that dude is like so, there's like the famous oh, yeah. story of like on the guest down he made all of the production assistants get other oranges for the shopping carts because they weren't the right color orange for you know what i mean like there's <laughs> stories like that for baz lerman like you know in all his movies getting but, a get down reference hey now, into the podcast uh, the get <laughs> <to> go. <laughs> uh, um, honestly anyway. Dan, i couldn't even remember the name of the show when I was yeah. like, watch, when I was watching this, I was like, "Oh yeah, I feel like I haven't heard from Boz in a while." And then I was like, "Oh, he made that show." And I with Justice Smith and he's now like an actual like real proper actor now. So yes, he is proper something actor. good came out of it. Yeah. Boz yeah. knows. Boz knows. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you're saying it's I, like the Fosters oh, of man, movies, yeah. like for Australia, like saying like. Hugh Jackman putting on an even stronger Australian accent yes. and saying stuff like crikey. Like, oh, yeah. it, it made me like, yeah. like Connor said, I like physically recoiled. <laughs> I just, I didn't want to be it, there it, watching that first 40, 30 to 40 minutes. It's re- it is really quite painful to watch. But like I said, once it sort of gets into its main, uh, the main thrust of its story, which is, Nicole and Hugh sort of, you know, from opposing sides coming together uh, to defeat the villainous cattle Brian ranchers. Brown, yeah. uh, is... Well, not even Brian Brown. It's really more David Wenham, right? Yeah. yeah. Brian Brown, David Wenham, and... Young uh, Ben Mendelsohn. That's the one. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's it's an interesting film just because of the just the absurd amount of actors uh and it's a yeah, that, he, that he got here yeah like like we were talking at the start about nicole being from us being one of the very first of a certain generation of australian actors to make it overseas but you had but in this film you've got people like brian brown and jack thompson uh and even david Gopalil, who like people will probably be rec- will recognize uh from australian films from the 70s and who yeah several of whom went over to America to make uh, and England to make uh, pretty recognizable, well-known films over there. But then you do also have people who like Ben Mendelsohn, who at the time, Animal Kingdom hadn't come out yet. Right. No. And while everyone in Australia would know uh, Ben Mendelsohn because he's been acting since he was a teenager. Yeah. Uh, that was a very uh, early prominent role uh, that Americans and other people around the world would have seen him in. Uh, and yeah, there's just, it's just so many people and it it is, 
it is fun to watch that. Not so much fun to watch the visual effects. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The constant uh, well, do you know, real do you know projection the story? green screen is not, not do you, good. Do you know the story about his beard, Jackman's beard, Glenn? Fox. <laughs> they did. They did. So he had a very gnarly beard because he's a drover, right? And what have you. Fox, after test screenings, paid a few million dollars to the effects department to go back and digitally trim Hugh Jackman's oh, beard wow. in every That's shot. Like, it must have only been in the, it must have only been in the first act of the movie. Well, though, yeah, because he, he shaves. cleans up. He sh- yeah, he shaves in the yeah. movie. So but, that mean, was very. It was yeah. like early Henry Cavill. Yeah, early. Right. Ca- it was early right. Cavill. Right. I mean, th- basically. So I mean, the quick cut. We don't need. I think do a plot for this movie. Really, it's basically it's set at the beginning of World War II in Australia and. You basically have three leads. You have the drover, whose name is the drover, Hugh Jackman, Lady Sarah Ashley, who's Nicole Kidman, who is an English aristocrat who inherits this cattle station. Uh, it's called Faraway Downs, and yeah, her, so her I, husband dies. Yeah, I guess some people um, may not know that Australia, like Australia, is a big, bloody big country, and we don't have as many or that many people, and there are literally like. Yeah, these cattle stations out in Western Australia and Northern Territory that are like bigger than states, full on states in yeah. that you have in America. Like, and I don't mean like Delaware, I mean like bigger than like Colorado New Jersey or something. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> like, like, they're, they're huge. And like, there's, there is one line in the movie where they say, How long until we get to Faraway Downs? And like, Well, we've been driving through it for two days. Right, right. So that it's that sort of, it, it, they are that sort of size. So, uh, sorry, but you should. No, no, that's continue, a great no, continue I mean, the, the plot. <laughs> yeah, all I was going to say is the third lead is, is the young Brandon Walters, who plays Nulla, who is the young kind of Aboriginal kid who. You know, Nicole Kidman's character basically takes under his wing, even though, to your point or your reference earlier, um, David uh, Gopolo plays King George, who's his Nella's grandfather. And so you have this kind of I think it's an admirable attempt at acknowledging the Aboriginal, you know, people who are native to Australian right now. Obviously, Australia has this very fractured, horrible history, you know, with the Aboriginal people and, you know, people from England, you know, white people from England coming to Australia and, you know, not not yeah. un, not not unlike Americans do with Native Americans, where just this kind of the blood on their hands and whatnot. I mean, you can watch stuff like Rabbit Proof Friends and you know, like um, these movies to kind of get even a, 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 a more clear sense of kind of the horrors. That yeah. so Bosler is trying to acknowledge that. I think it basically works. Brandon Walters, I think, is very good in this movie. I think it's very it's charismatic. A, it, yeah, I think it's a very like energetic performance a very good performance and uh, i think he holds his own against you know two great actors nicole kidman and hugh jackman and also did you mention jack thompson's also in this movie earlier yeah yeah which is he's yeah. great i will say he's, a, he's love... entertaining as this the yeah. alcoholic uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he's I, also I will... in the man from snowy river so you know yeah. just connecting uh, it all I, yeah i will say regarding the aboriginal australian uh the first nations uh elements of the story i must admit i 
I somewhat respect Baz Luhrmann for committing right. to including it. It's so strongly in the story. Um, I do think it's kind of. I I do reckon if it was made today, it would be very. I you could not get away with. Yeah. Some of that I will. I did find it quite uncomfortable having. I, it's it's that thing of uh, of a film showing racism. Obviously, isn't condoning it, but right. it it can be really awkward, really uncomfortable watching white actors just so freely use mm-hmm. racist. Yeah terms racist phrases uh racist nicknames that were given to uh the first nations people back then and unfortunately still are by some in society um it's just it, i and it it, it 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 again sort of made me recoil a little bit because on one hand the film is you know celebrating the this larrikin like this jovial concept of the Australian whilst also admitting, whilst acknowledging that, yes, we have a horrible history. I don't think the two blend particularly well. I like what Lerman was attempting to do in creating a, a, a gone with the wind for the modern age. But <laughs> I mean, if you've followed <laughs> anything around gone with the wind in the last, yeah, 10 right, years, right, right. you know, it's probably maybe not the best film to be mimicking so much. It's an awkward. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just, yeah, I was just going to end it by saying, yeah, it's somewhat of an awkward, uncomfortable yeah. watch with really beautiful costumes and sets. Uh, I don't know if Nicole and Hugh have romantic, uh chemistry as much as you would expect uh from a three-hour romantic epic uh yeah it's yeah again it's another one of those ones that just doesn't quite come off the way that its makers uh wanted and i think nicole has even said herself that this is one performance she can't bring herself to really rewatch to rewatch and reckon with she i i think I don't think she she's pleased with what she put on screen uh, with this one, which I think is fair for maybe for some. I think she's asked to do a lot in this movie, like you know. And I think it's unfair she got asked. (laughs) It's a movie called Australia, and she's Australian, and she doesn't even get to be Australian. Australian. (laughs) She has to be this prim British woman, and it just yeah. I got um. It's funny. I obviously Gone with the Wind is the most direct i was gonna say giant almost more. oh sure i well i i think i think glenn the, the gone with the wind comp is i think the most correct in terms of everything you're talking about i guess the about, war like the, yeah and the and yeah. just the yeah. you know the racism the, the, the cringe factor for <laughs> yeah. me the racism that, I, you know i'm glad <laughs> you, i'm glad you spoke to it glenn because obviously neither dan or i could speak to it as directly but um yeah, to me, the part of all of that that hit the worst on a rewatch, and I hadn't, I, I like you, Dan, I have a general fondness for this movie, if for no other reason than I, I enjoy the pastiche, right? Like I, I enjoy just the the overall attempt that it's that it's making and the kind of movie that Boz Lerman's trying to make, and I, I, I really yeah. enjoy it on that front, but. I totally forgot about like the magical realism that's baked in, yeah. which is like, that's the part of 
that whole storyline that kind of hit me the most like that's the dynamic that i don't think the film is ever able to really wrestle with for first australian first first nations people for the aboriginal people of australia you know their history is built upon the dream time this this thing that we can't fully ever comprehend as white people the history of it the depth of it the the that everything on this land was created by uh someone or something and i'm sure i'm butchering it horribly um but you're but you yeah. but but the, but it, yeah. it, it, it the film does treat this seriously it does treat yeah, yeah. you know the, the 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 this idea as something serious and real to the aboriginal people the aboriginal characters but i i don't think the film really lands anywhere where it where it it just doesn't work in the way uh that i think a smaller film uh, could could have could really could really tackle those, those themes. I think here on this giant canvas, it yeah. doesn't work. I was going to say a good example of what we're talking about with the magical realism and this kind of the the, the that's the term the the world of it's part of the culture, what have you. Peter Weir's The Last Wave, right, which is one of his first yep. movie, incorporates the Dreamtime stuff in way more of a genre thriller smaller movie yeah. element that confront confronts similar politics probably better right because it because it's there, yeah there's quite a few films that right uh, particularly so to your point, genre yeah yeah the scope betrays the nuance a bit yeah I think, it just i, I yeah. just don't think it can it, it can uh meld this very you know, uh, complex history. I just don't think it can really meld it with the with this epic romance, uh, epic cross country romance. It they, they they never fuse together in a way that that feels organic. Uh, and like they're telling the 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 same movie, the same story. And I, you know, so I'll say, you know, bring it back to Nicole. I I do think she's good in this movie. I think she's given a lot to do. I find her funny, right? She's meant to be kind of a foil for some laughs. I think it basically works. Like when she's trying to sing Somewhere Over the Rainbow, I'm laughing. I think it's a <laughs> nice little moment. It um, is a good bit. I think her chemistry, you know, maternally, maternal chemistry with uh, Brandon Walters is actually quite lovely. I will say that. And then I think, you know, the context of this movie is interesting. He basically, Boslerman basically makes this off of the failure of his Alexander the Great movie, which was going to star Leo DiCaprio, but Oliver Stone and Colin Farrell beat them to it, right? So those there were two competing Alexander the Great bio, you know, biopics or whatever you want to call them, and, you know, they, they lost, essentially. So in the aftermath, that production and those some of those builds and some of that money basically pivoted to australia you would you know so boss kind of took that epic scope and kind of moved it over and i think it's funny because four years after australia he works with leonardo DiCaprio on the great gatsby and i think that's a movie where the scope and boss's old-fashioned old hollywood hand fits better right with the great gatsby story Agreed. and maybe it's maybe it's 
more because it's American, right? And, you know, the history of America is quite short. And, you know, it's there's a very, the Great Gatsby is about a very specific type of American. And I think you can focus more. And I think the subject matter is also not as like tricky that's what I mean. as Australia. That's, that, that's kind of exactly. what I mean. So I think he kind of gets it right. I mean, look, I love Australia. So I'm, I mean, he got it right for me personally, <laughs> but, but I, but all the criticisms hold weight and they're, they're of yeah. course uh, you have to consider them, but I would agree that when you, you four years later, when you get to Gatsby, which was a hit, I mean, Australia made a decent amount of money, but obviously for how much money got put into it, I think ultimately it was a disappointment. Um, and, you know, the great Gatsby ends up being uh, quite a big hit. So, it kind of comes yeah. down the wash. But. I, I will. Do, I, I'll say that Australia remains the second highest grossing Australian movie of all time here. Oh, I read that uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in local box office behind only Crocodile Dundee, oh. which I mean, <laughs> has one movie has one. Speaking of like representing Australia, yeah, has exactly. one movie. <laughs> This is an honest question. I guess we're not going to – this is kind of a bigger question than I intended to be. Has any other movie more like directly affected the impression of a continent to the rest of the world than Crocodile Dundee did to Australia? Isn't that the weirdest thing? Like, I'm, think sure, about that. That's I'm sure a real, an, I'm sure there's an answer to that. But like I, there must it, be some I'm terrible Chinese – right. there must be some terrible like Chinese example or right, something right, that I'm not right. thinking. You know what I mean? But like – God, that movie was such a huge hit. Paul Hogan got nominated for an Oscar. He hosted the he next hosted. year. He yeah. hosted with like Goldie Hawn and Chevy Chase. Like that movie was a moment and it really affected like a generation of people's thinking of Australia. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, last well, Glenn, year. Glenn, you have a big knife, right? You have a big knife. <laughs> you, don't you all have big knives? Yeah. <laughs> I look in my kitchen. Sure. Not a, not a hunting knife. <laughs> you don't uh, carry around a. Oh, sorry. No. No, no, I don't. <laughs> No, I don't. Um, but I, I don't know if you guys know this, and you would be well and truly forgiven for not knowing. But last oh, he, year, he made, he made another one. Yep, there was a fourth, fourth or fifth, fourth. fourth. I think it's fourth. And yeah. yeah, a fourth one. And although it's like a, it's a meta, meta twist where he's playing yeah, Paul, Paul Hogan, Hogan yeah. as it's. I, I I don't know. It it premiered on on a streaming. So it's like his it's like his JCVD. Like I believe it's called maybe. Yeah, I believe yeah. it's I believe it's called like the Incredible Mr. Dundee or something yeah. like that. And yeah, because it was it was it was Crocodile Dundee, Crocodile Dundee, like immediately two immediately after, and then and then ten years or so, and then Crocodile yeah. Dundee in Los Angeles. Right, I believe. Yeah, yeah I in two thousand and one. Yeah, think, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. and you know, it's Hogan. A, a, Hogan had a little career. I mean, he was in like Lightning Jack was a big movie with him and Cuba Gooding Jr. He was in Flipper. Like he was in Hollywood movies after Crocodile Dundee. He just never really, you know, escaped the role. <laughs> he, was in, he was in Flipper. <laughs> yeah, we all we all remember I mean, where we true. were. <laughs> He was in. He was in Flipper. He, he was in Flipper. I, I don't know if anyone is really putting that on the Elijah, <laughs> young Elijah. Young Elijah Wood. You guys don't he remember. He was just Flipper? in so many Hollywood pictures. Flipper, Flipper? Lightning Jack. 
the list is endless <laughs> except it ends right there Flipper, almost, that's it. Um, almost an angel you guys ever heard oh, wow. of almost an angel um anyway <laughs> I have. can i can i, I speak have. really quickly i uh to just this movie's i i will say back to the pastiche of it all i don't think they do have i'm kind of caught in between you two because i do think their chemistry isn't quite as like blazing hot as i like remember in my brain but i do think they're both so attractive that it doesn't <laughs> necessarily matter like i was well i granted it was admittedly late at night and i had like had some whiskey but i was re-watching this and like every time they just kissed or got close i was like oh this is like the hottest movie ever made i was just like the, so the entranced kiss, by them. the kiss that they share is actually in the scene uh, with the tree by the tree yeah yeah i think that is a after is that after he's had the 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 bucket shower where he just pours water on himself yeah and it's bless baz lerman hot, for, yeah, for no, knowing ba- what we want he know, <laughs> lerman knows, knows. What, he know, yeah he knows what's up specifically like and i think dan i sent you a video of it as it was happening when i was watching it but the i i agree with you glenn as well that i do think the the trajectory of this movie is like an arc right like so when you get towards the middle and where i imagine this is the, i feel like the other thing this movie's missing is is an intermission because i just feel like not mm. a for honestly from like a traditional genre standpoint i think that maybe just helps the pastiche a little bit probably if he includes like an maybe an overture in a 15 minute intermission yeah just that'd to be like fun. give it a little thing but after they get to um you know after they basically finish their cattle drive darwin. right they, yeah, get, yeah, to they get to darwin thank you after they get to darwin like that feels like the intermission point and then there's a sequence Definitely. there's a sequence at a uh, a ball almost immediately after that which feels like where you would pick up the second half of the movie and that sequence i think is lovely in terms of yep. a um you know like a big sweeping uh titanic esque way where you know she's at this ball uh she's there with um Brian Brown with Brian Brown and it's this it's this lovely little moment she looks amazing obviously and Hugh is like very adamant about not going cuz he's just not you know a sort of ostracized from that part of society and he shows up and he's shaved and he looks fucking white, great. Suit. white tux. and he just white yeah tux. and it is to me the moment one of the <laughs> several moments of the movie just from a pure visual standpoint where like yeah lerman understands like everything They're very theatrical yeah you know, very, every, everything he needs to put on screen and i i it was breathtaking i was like oh yeah no i love this movie <laughs> yeah i think I think Lerman's problem here was that because he was going for that Gone with the Wind epic, like like we said, it's nearly three hours long. Yeah. He deliberately sets it at a time in political history where he adds this sort of 40-minute World War II yeah. sequence, 30-minute sequence at the end. It almost yeah. feels like he's doing this because he knows to to recreate these classic epics he has to make a long movie it needs to be loved during uh, wartime i think, I think yeah. if 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 it you know if they'd gone to the bowl and he'd shown up and they had their big triumphant uh romantic reunion roll credits i think it actually would have been much stronger uh that's a fair point. i don't i don't think the the final uh 
the final yeah rescue scene yeah it's it's, yeah, it's, it's it it falls a bit flat after that really strong second act with As, the droving sequence and the ball it just it never it just never gets uh, that good again unfortunately yeah especially as it relates to the brandon walters part of that narrative yeah. right because yeah that's a really good well point. we should like, say you know he he made that it's referenced in the beginning the beginning of the picture part of you know, the aboriginal children in this movie it's about the stolen generations right which is this period of time when these aboriginal children were forcibly removed from their families by the australian government this horrible you know rabbit proof oh, extremely extremely yeah. damaging racist yeah. horrible yeah thing philip, that... the, philip yeah. noyce who did dead calm he made rabbit proof fence with kenneth Branagh, and it it's a that movie's uh, kenneth Branagh plays an officer chasing children who have trying to escape to uh, return to their families. That's what that movie's about. So, I mean, there's acknowledgement in, in film, you know, Australian film of these things. And he's kind of acknowledging it in the movie. And there's kind of this, it's a little, yeah, it's a shoehorned rescue the stolen children thing. Well, he, he knew he wouldn't be able to get away with telling a story, a movie called Australia set, in the outback yeah, without, without acknowledging yeah, without acknowledging the, this yeah. i don't think he does it necessarily successfully right, but, right right but i also don't think the film is entirely warranting of the of the drubbing it, it got um, yeah i i, agree. I, I think yeah. it, it got oscar nominated for the costumes i definitely think appropriate uh the cinematography of mandy walker is oh my god really really wonderful incredible yeah. uh yeah it sets a good um the music is is pretty good i don't really understand the elton john song over the end credits yeah look what are you gonna do <laughs> hey it's a choice what are you gonna do? <laughs> now, it was a choice so, so you know so yeah, this is 08, right? So nine, Rob Marshall's nine comes out the nope. next year. No, thank you. I've never Rabbit seen Hole, it. I've Rabbit Hole, never seen it. Rabbit Hole is good. Um, she's actually Rabbit very funny. Did she get yeah. nominated for Rabbit Hole? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was also she, nominated. She's actually very funny in Just Go With It, which is the Adam Sandler movie. I mean, the movie's I not- I agree. The movie's not particularly good, but she's funny in it. And it's it feels like her agent being like, do a comedy, Nicole, and it's good. Well, um, this is the thing. People, yeah, people say she's cold, but yeah. have you actually seen the movies she's in? She's actually quite mean. funny yeah. in, in, in quite yeah. a few of them. And then, like you said, the Paperboy is a crazy performance, but it's like very memorable. Stoker, she's cold, obviously. That's kind of... Uh, I, 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 Connor, you like that more than I do. That movie, I think it doesn't really work I think, me, And but, I, you think know. That perform- I think her performance in that is fucking great like i because i feel like stoker she taps into maybe a darker even darker version when it leads to i think you're also leading to paddington which is also a fun performance again i think yeah i think she's kind of keyed into what stoker is in a in a kind of what it reminded me of when i was i didn't rewatch it but i was like kind of thinking about it because i did rewatch to die for and I feel like they're kind of similar-ish roles in that it, I mean, they're it's not the same movie and not the same character, but it she is just keying into this like knowing, sort of that knowing coldness and that knowing like, you know, sociopathic uh, yeah. a- a- energy, I think, which I think she I think Nicole well. is, Nicole is really good at emotional savagery, I feel. Sure. Like yeah. she can really just like, t- like, tear someone to shreds yeah yeah, yeah. with like with but with like with 
without even you know breaking well, a sweat. And that's a good. Se- I mean, that's actually a good segue into Destroyer, right? Which is the last movie, Karn Kusama's uh, Destroyer, which is kind of I think I. So I had I. So my story with Destroyer is I started it on a plane like. Uh, I don't know, 2019, you know, it was available because it came out at the end of 2018. And kind of a set, Annapurna released it. It kind of didn't, got well-reviewed, but didn't really open. And they kind of buried it. And she got like a Golden Globe nomination, but it didn't really go. And so I I, I put it on, on my, 2019, I was on a plane, I put it on. And I kind of turned it off after 30 minutes because I was kind of like, ah, oh, this isn't, um, you know, this isn't really... This isn't the right moment. I wasn't really feeling it. And I was really happy we chose it because I rewatched. I watched it really for the first time, obviously, uh, for this podcast. And I really liked it, actually. I, I walked away being very pleasantly surprised by Destroyer. And I think it's almost a culmination of kind of almost what we're talking about with Nicole Kidman. I mean, I think it's certainly the best performance of the four we're talking about uh, from her, from Nicole Kidman. And I think it really does. I think you're getting, you know, the cold thing, but the self-aware nature of it. You're getting the opposite of that because there's moments of true emotional Ten- reaction, yeah, like extreme tenderness, like you know, where tenderness, sure, where um, you know, but even like, but even like, bringing it back to birth, that's a cold performance. But then it's like there are incredible, like you know, that scene in the theater, like we talked about incredible moments of warmth and empathy so it's like and, and just wells of emotion right coming so it's like, kind of that's a that's a on her face yeah. it's ca- that's, that's kind thing. of i don't think it's kind I, of a I feel like I should, thing yeah i don't yeah. think she's cold no um, i don't I, think I, any of us it, do yeah yeah no it's just it's for whatever the reason the yeah. reputation uh, yeah that well it's the same I, you know what you know what's I me mean, speaking of can eyes wide shut connection it's that thing of people say stanley kubrick's cold and you're like yeah, I can understand why that is a thought people have when you think of the way he frames things and whatnot. And like literally the formalism can be cold. But I can point you to a few very not cold moments in Stanley Kubrick movies that I find yeah, to exactly. be like, you know, you're kind of you're 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 really painting with a broad butt brush in a lot of cases. Anyway, destroyer, um, is kind of an anti-cop cop movie. I think it's a it's a movie that's very much it's challenging. I think you're it's kind of it was sold as a cop procedural and it's basically what if it what if you made a cop procedural but the procedure was like the most boring part about the movie and everything <laughs> else was it was all vibes, right? And it was yeah, all sure. style. Yeah, yeah, sure. And I think to watch it, you have to kind of get past that because you basically get a first hour where you have this detective, Aaron Bell, who's Kidman, who's like beyond burnt out, right? And it opens on a button scene and there's a murder and there's a, there's a $100 bill with a, you know, clearly a die pack bleed on it. And then she's reinvestigating you presume this murder, right? And then what's revealed is kind of something that happened over a decade earlier where she was undercover with Sebastian Stan and we know things went wrong. We don't quite know how. And while this is happening in the present day, she's got a daughter who hates her and a, ste- and a, and a 
and a husband slash stepfather who, you know, God bless Scoot McNair. We get a little Scoot. You always like getting a little Scoot. Scoot, movie. Scoot. Scoot looks good Love in a good this movie Scoot. too. Scoot Scoot's looks good. Scoot's like handsome in this movie. Yeah, Scoot's always handsome. Yeah, I like Scoot. Scoot's good. And um, and that's kind of the setup. And then you basically learn more about the kind of lingering past that she's clearly kind of fighting against and trying to reconcile. You get a little Toby Kebbell, which, you know, I think a little Kebbell goes a long way. I think you get the right amount of Kebbell in this one. <laughs> um, and um, I think... Send that to his agent. (laughs) (laughs) A little Kevl goes a long way. It kind of sounds like a a tagline for a cereal. Uh, Kevl in bits. It's more a dog food. That's what it is. A little Kevl goes a long way. You get the dog running up to the frame. But so that's, I mean, and I think, you know, Nicole is, 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 um, made to look older right of course and the movie sold itself on that and i think that works um we could talk about the wigs of course um she's got a purposely hoarse voice which i think is like a lovely acting choice to be honest and um yeah i think this movie really kicks in at the halfway point and once that happens I think it really sprints to the finish line and I locked in and I really enjoyed it. So I don't know what you guys think of this one. Glenn, I'll let yeah, you I sure. Thank you. I think it's the strongest film and the strongest performance of the right. four. I think this is the only one of the four that I would unreservedly say is Recommend, a good yeah. movie. Right. Um, I, so I rewatched this last night. I remember liking it when it came out and so I, I I don't it, it, I don't maybe I don't know the best way to explain it, but I I think it the one of the re- the main reason I like it so much is that it's it's just it's a movie movie. Mm-hmm. It like you know today even today three years later four years later it would obviously be a mini series. Yeah, I'm uh, glad you, it would be. Yeah. It would be drawn out, dragged out, or it'd be all over the place. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be and, but but yeah, this it was is. this this feels like Karen Kusama had found this really great script, or not even really great, but just an interesting cop script, like in a drawer. Uh, I think her, I think it's actually written by her. I think her, her husband wrote it. Yes. Partner, her yeah. husband. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, and she and she just wanted to make a good old fashioned cop movie. Like, obviously, it's not just a standard you know detective solving a mystery uh film there's a lot more going on to it but it's sort of like how so during all these lockdowns over the last year and a half i've been re-watching or watching for the first time ones that i missed lots of like 90s era mm. you know thrillers legal thrillers uh kiss the girls style right. yeah. mysteries and the like and these were probably all films, you know, Double Jeopardy, Primal Fear, uh, Grisham-style movies that at the time I imagine – actually, the uh, the Peacekeeper – what's the Nicole Peacemaker. Kidman? Peacemaker. Peacemaker. Yeah. That fits very much into this uh, sort of – Totally thing as well of films that like probably were dismissed at the time well, Ma- as, just being, as, yeah, yeah. as just being yeah. sort of like Hollywood filler 
stuff, you know, but which you watch it now and it's like, oh, cinema. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. Seriously. Ca- camera Seriously. angles. Like, yeah. they know how to light a scene. Yeah, right? shadows. Edit, like, it's, there are shadows. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it doesn't like... just look like, you know, that sort of very basic Netflix Right, they're in flat, Atlanta. Yeah. Flat oh, they're, look. Yeah, yeah. They're, like, yeah, like this Vancouver, one has a, right? This one has a style to it. It's got a, it's it looks a, a great. really interesting, really interesting LA movie. Like it's sort of it would be a really good double feature with say a Nightcrawler, um, yeah, type type of film. Like I just think it's re- like it's you know, and it's Nicole Kidman being an actor making choices, like big choices. Well, she's being a movie but, star, right? She's being yeah, a movie star. Like, yeah. The actress, I actually very probably very random, but. I, in my brain, it made sense. The actress that I leapt to was a was um, uh, Betty Davis, mm. right? Who you know, like, have you seen the, that miniseries Feud? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, I obviously we don't know what, how much of it is real, but there's like the scene where Susan Sarandon as Betty Davis walks out in her cake maker, yeah. <laughs> and everyone on set, including uh, Jessica Lang, uh, uh, goes, ah. Oh, damn what a good choice <laughs> like you know it's like she just made a choice and she ran with it yeah. Yeah. that's the sort of thing that nicole is doing uh here i know a lot of people don't didn't like the choices the wig does the keith urban-esque wig doesn't help the, <laughs> keith the, like, urban-esque. the, 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 the makeup that does make her look somewhat like a zombie very deliberately so i know it, that didn't work for a lot of people but i just i just vibed to it yeah. uh to as, totally as, to use your word like it's grimy and just and kind of gross but never so gross that it that i'm taken out of this of, of what is a interesting detective story um i just yeah and it's like there's a couple there's really good chase sequences there's no oh, yeah. the bank robbery scene i think is that really strong yeah, like, that like it's, the bank it's really like good. it's like karen kasama did watch something like heat and yeah. go okay look i want to make something like that but on a sliver of the budget right and yeah. and, and ultimately succeeded at doing that i think it's really entertaining she's she's really good uh yeah i i really liked this one and i was glad that you put this on the list because it's i probably wouldn't have rewatched it anytime soon and i'm but right. I'm glad i was able to yeah, I, I, I picked this one because I just I, so I hadn't seen it, but I picked it because I remember really wanting to see it and kind of never got around to it. And then I remember kind of it's like you mentioned, Dan, kind of just getting passed over when in my brain I was like, this feels like it should have been a home run, like at least like, you know, in the film Twitter verse of like a movie that people just were like, oh, yeah, this is great or whatever. And I feel like it that didn't happen for it. No. Yeah. And it's, and it is a bummer. I think the other thing, I think the Anna Perner of it all did sure. not yeah, help a hundred percent. Like if, you know, yeah, I, I hate to say, it, but it's like if a 24 releases it instead, yeah. it, was, and it, wasn't it released in like Christmas week or something? I, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was Anna, a December release. I mean. Yeah. Anna, yeah. Anna Perna kind of has revealed itself, right? Obviously this is pretty well documented to kind of, they have money to, to to help people like Paul Thomas Anderson make stuff like Inherent Vice and whatnot, but when they took over to try to open their own movies, that is that is an art that is not easy, and that's why that's why places like Sony Pictures Classic have been around for so long because you can 
like platforming things and opening things the right way and selling them the right way. Like there's an art to that. I mean, there really is. And I think Destroyer, Destroyer was a victim. That's a good point, Connor, or, or Glenn, rather. It, it, it's a Destroyer was a victim of opening it. Yeah. And there's a million other movies when it opened and it, you know, kind of selling it on the, you know, Nicole Kidman's admitted weird design, yeah. which I think if it's the hours that can work but if but if it's like destroyer i think maybe you sell it a little more in the action potentially yeah, yeah i was anyway. surprised it didn't get sold more along the lines like the same way like hell or high water or sicario did like as the sicario yeah, definitely. yeah sicario as, definitely sicario as yeah. like a stylish neo genre piece that yeah that yeah. that's like gritty and effective and i feel like it's i i feel like those movies sprang to mind just because i feel like this operates on that same level of like well yeah a relatively uncomplicated at least in uh narrative right like just an uncomplicated relatively simple genre movie where like the protein of it is is kidman right and like i I I'm glad you said it before Glenn because I was thinking this when I was watching it that like yeah like if this gets made I mean even when it got made right even in 2018 right mm. it's just it's a miracle that this isn't eight hours of overblown content right like yeah it's it's a miracle that it's a good tight like two hour movie two hour movie yeah. um that I was really I you know just thinking about it I was really pleased by that but um. I think it also speaks to I was thinking a lot about the little things while watching this movie because right. and I I like that movie fine enough from the perspective that you mentioned Glenn of like just being a, is that the the dental the, Dent- the Dent- yeah. Dent- okay, I, I, right. I like that movie fine enough as just a throwbacky whatever thing but I do think it's an interesting comp only because I think this movie is the difference between having like a really good filmmaker behind the material to like really drive well, and in a t- like an interesting and way. a tighter a tighter screenplay yes too. yeah yeah a hundred yeah i mean 100%. that's i think you, you know phil hay and matt manfredi um wrote it and phil hay and, and karn kusama are are married but but one thing i was gonna say a thing i you could you could call this a criticism but i actually think in my opinion it's actually a it's a positive element Aaron Bell, who is the uh, the Nicole Kidman character, is a very stupid cop, right? In terms of she does stupid things and to watch the movie with the plot. I guess the ending kind of suggests she's not as dumb as we thought. So I'll give it that. But the reason it's a compliment in my mind is that's a common thing in noir, like a, a lot of the detectives are stupid, right? Like that kind of <laughs> is what makes it work sometimes in a sneaky way. And my example is always Jay Giddies from Chinatown, right? Which, you know, is one of these masterpiece movies, noir films, right? He's not a great private eye, right? And when you watch the movie a second time, you're like, dude, how did you not see this? Like, how did it take a mangled nose and like all of the, you know, and you at the end, you're like, wait, this is what was going on? You're like, dude. It was right there the whole time. And I feel like you get a little bit of that with this movie. And I think it's, I like it. Like, and then when you get like, we don't need to spoil this movie at all, but there's a great scene with Tatiana Maslany, which I think reveals things. And 
you're like, oh, there's more here than I thought and what have you. And um, yeah, I think, well, yeah, go ahead. I think sorry. that goes to like what I was saying before and why I like the movie so much is, yeah, it's, it's, you know, she's not the greatest cop in the world, yeah. but it, it's, it, the movie is doing things that movies should do. It's not yeah. trying to really exist in, a real world it's existing in a movies version of los angeles and where there are characters you know uh, uh, it's hard to explain like, do people uh, still rob banks like do you right, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> do we, i never seem to hear about it yeah right <laughs> so I, I, yeah <laughs> well and i love right before that shootout which which is part of the bank thing which is right in the middle of the movie the two other cops come up and they're like, should we wait for backup? And I love when she's like, it's a gunfight. Yeah. And, yes. and you're like, what? Yes. Like, Thank they you. Thank you. They yeah. speak like movie characters. Yeah. They act like movie characters. And, and that's, looks, and that's the thing that I love about it. She looks it. at like, that cop. Like, <laughs> no, I just, I'm just thinking, she like looks at that cop like, you fucking idiot. Like, yeah. like first yeah. off, she like goes, to, and I guess whatever it's, you know, she's a cop and she has a cop car. So I guess she would have it. But I just love that. Like she just goes to her car grabs a fucking machine gun goes in and is just like is ready to be an irresponsible police officer like do you know what I mean? like yeah. is yeah. ready yeah. to just be like oh i'm gonna cowboy the shit out of this and like yeah. then gets mad at the other cop for like trying to like be, being be by the good book. yeah being yeah. Like good at her job yeah yeah, yeah it just, must, it's a fun movie yeah ultimately yeah i, I must one it wasn't a financial success which is disappointing yeah, but that may have to do, and I, I mentioned this in our emails, exchanges back and forth. It may have to do that. Nicole Kidman has to vomit so much in this movie. <laughs> yeah, between between Destroyer and Birthday, Birthday Girl. Girl. <laughs> yeah, whoever Girl, like whoever does like is vomiting. Like, is that a like a squib or something, or do they hold something in their mouth? I don't know. But I think you yeah, you hold something in your mouth usually. Yeah. <laughs> She must be really good at, <laughs> at vomit acting. So much of it. This well, movie, favorite, she vomits about five, six times. Yeah, my and favorite at random moments in the film. <laughs> my yeah, my favorite shot in the movie is she. Another noir trope, which I love. She kind of gets knocked out or passes out more than a couple of times in this movie, which is a common. If you watch, you know, forties B side noirs and whatnot, that's a common thing, obviously. Um. She is passed out. B-side and, Nawaz. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> she she um she's passed out on her apartment floor, I believe, and an ant in the foreground crawls and she wakes up and sees the ant and just watches the ant crawl across the frame. That's beautiful. Like to your point, Glenn, earlier, like that's just a beautifully framed frame. That's a beautifully envisioned mm. visual moment where, like, yeah, in 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 a in a in a piece of content built to be watched on the web and on your device where you're going to flatten everything a little bit more so that the kid on his phone can see everything that depth of screen depth of field which allows the ant to literally be in focus just doesn't exist right yeah, so i think there's a lot of that in this movie you know, too like shots through car mirrors and like yes yeah, so and just full, the, the way the sun yeah yeah the way the sun hits people's faces yeah. and really highlights the 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 wrinkles and the and all of that that they've uh put onto nicole's face i know a lot of people were really uh 
very big uh, fans of Mayor of Easttown mm, this sure. last year, and I was too. But I just kept thinking, I sort of, I just wished that that was a two-hour, fifteen-minute yeah, detective story. Agreed. I would watch that shit every year, yeah. like I do with stuff like Silence of the Lambs. You know, and, like I would watch it. Repeat. I'm not going to watch an. an what was eight episode miniseries again like you know and i feel like i'm and i feel like we're missing out on those sort of the the meat and potato style cinema well yeah that's that's why advertised at a certain type of audience i was looking Uh, at it's it's a a bit of a shame i was looking at my old old tweets uh, a couple days ago and um when mara ended you do that do you You just go back and read your own tweets actually I will say the reason wow. I was doing it. The reason I was doing it. I have a reason. I was looking for. Sure, I, sure. I had tweeted earlier this year about how weird it was that there was two mail order bride movies in two thousand one. One starring Angelina Jolie and one starring Nicole Kidman. And I couldn't remember what the other one was. It was Original Sin. So I was going back to look for that tweet, and I remembered Katie Walsh, who's a film critic. Uh, in LA, who's been on Cinephile Game Nights and and whatnot, and and is a great writer. She had recommended when Mayor of Easttown ended. She was like, "Hey, if you want something like this, Brad Inglesby, who created Mayor of Easttown, wrote a movie called American Woman, starring Sienna Miller. Mm. That is Glenn. What you're talking about? It's like a two hour kind of missing persons, kind of slow burn thriller movie." That just if you watch it, you'd be like, how they literally just don't make this movie anymore. And like, of course, nobody freaking saw that movie. Nobody saw Destroyer. Exactly. And it exactly. kind of speaks which to is, this. Which is the problem. It's the problem. And it speaks to this moment in time. And it's a bit of a bummer. And people like serialized things. And I get that. And like, it is what it is. But like, I totally agree with you. Right. It's like, you know, you have it be. It, st- it feels like it stands alone, I guess, is the point. Destroyer feels yeah. like a relic of. And it only was made three years ago, you know, which is just fascinating. It's also like yeah. it's also it couldn't be made today. No, yeah, def- definitely not. 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 Or or yeah. if it or if it was, it would be made by Amazon directly for like Amazon Prime or whatever. Like it would be yeah. even if it was and a movie. Like shit. Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't look yeah. like that. It wouldn't look as good. I do think also like I think this movie's impeccably cast, like even beyond Kidman. Like I mentioned this to you, Dan, while I was watching it, that this movie like reminded me that I really like Sebastian Stan and I kind of wish he had a better career. I mean, he has a great career in terms of like he's he's making his money or whatever and good for him. But I just wish he had like a more interesting career because I think he's he's yeah. like a really interesting actor. Well, it's a similar. I mean, you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a lower key version of the Robert Downey Jr. thing. Right. It's. You know, he's the Winter Soldier now. You know, it's like that's just how he makes his money. I suppose. <laughs> Let me ask but... you a question, because um, we're you know we're we're coming up on the end here, and I but I'm just curious, Glenn, because we have you and all your Nicole Kidman knowledge. I sure. might already know this. What is your favorite? What 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 would you recommend? I've never seen a Nicole Kidman movie, and you're like Dan. Before you do anything, watch this <laughs> Nicole Kidman movie. Just one. Yeah, or whatever. Two. Give me two. I don't know. You know. Yeah. Uh, I think the two that are probably just that I think really perfectly show off both sides of of her acting would be, and that are also just incredible movies, uh, would be To Die For and Moulin Rouge. Mm. I think you do have that – In To Die For does have that sort of that really – independent 90s 
uh, style that she actually she would carry on and on all the way to destroy her. She hasn't made anything quite like that since it's been HBO and Hulu miniseries the last couple of years. But um, but I think that that and then you've also got Moulin Rouge, which it really highlights her as a movie star like that is yeah. a movie star performance that is satin stunning yeah. that is she's wearing rich expensive costumes in a rich expensive movie just like being old school movie star and so i think those two sides uh probably best uh, represented by those two movies well here's uh, here's the real I, question I, will connor open oh. the episode with elephant love medley now that we're talking about I, no, i'm just kidding we'll see um sorry glenn continue <laughs> well though, please. you could you could uh start the episode with i don't know if you guys watched the entire end credits of birthday girl but oh, nicole kidman's yeah nicole kidman's <laughs> Number one hit record, yeah. something stupid, yeah. when Robbie Williams plays over the end credits. Which Might is that, a- that is the pick. That is that the is, pick. I, that song, I don't think it charted in America. I don't know. But no, I, I was looking UK, it up. I think was, it, yeah, I think in the UK is where it charted the highest, yeah, I think. Yeah. UK and Australia, it was quite successful. And I did not know it was from the soundtrack to birthday girl <laughs> and it was a it was a nancy and frank sinatra cover right is, is that, it really am, yeah am i making that up yeah i think so I th- yeah. yeah i think so oh yeah something stupid oh yeah something yeah, yeah, stupid yeah. I, I actually know that yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. um that's fucking wild. God, I, all no, my, Glenn, I, yeah. all I think my that's italian a, all my italian relatives would have been so offended <laughs> for a minute, for a minute i think glenn that's a per that is a perfect answer i was curious what you were gonna pick as your two uh as your two things, but I do think Why, that's for me, a good... for, for me, it would be just go with it in the railway, man. Obviously. But, obviously. Naturally. Obviously. Yeah. The, the, the entire run of Nicole's career where she like wears a mousy brown wig. Just the best. <laughs> Glenn is... Railway man. Genius. Ooh, genius. Who could genius. Glenn, is there Jude any... Law that's, that's, a, that's not even a B-side. That's, that's a, a B-side. No, is that's it... an unreleased demo. That's <laughs> just... <laughs> Did it come out? I don't it... think it got a theatrical release. That either. movie is was so little watched that National Geographic made a series of shows called Genius. <laughs> and nobody even like... Cares. Like, yeah. 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 No one will get him confused. Yeah. <laughs> Glenn, is there anything she hasn't done that you want to, or maybe something she has done that hasn't done in a while? Like, is there anything you want to see from her either yeah. again good or question. for the first time? Oh, very good question. Um, I, I would like to see her do horror again. Mm. Uh, oh, I, good, I yeah. would like to be perfectly honest. I would like to see a lot of um, actresses, of that caliber, uh, you know, that caliber doing some horror. Like mm. I, I think of someone like Meryl Streep when we were talking about her before, um, Meryl Streep may have the 23 Oscar nominations, but the list of directors she works with and the list of and yeah. sort of the, 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 the zones within which she works is often not safe. as expansive yeah, yeah. as you as a, uh, yeah, a bit safe that, uh, that you would expect from someone of that caliber. hundred percent. Um, and I would love to see, yeah, like Meryl Streep do, you know, that style of horror, like the others. Yeah. Um, she's great. Very buttoned up, repressed horror, as opposed to, you know, someone chasing you know with a knife or whatever but but for nicole yeah i'd love to see her return to to just 
to horror. I think, and I think she would. She likes she likes some genre. Get her with Guillermo she, del Toro or something. Like I, you know, ooh, get, get her in like a like a crimson peaky kind of. Yes, yeah. yes. Although I feel like uh, Kate Blanchett uh, has that sort sure. of. Literally, Kate Blanchett made the, that movie with he's yeah. coming out, right? Not can, we, can, we, yeah. can we get Nicole and Kate in a movie together? Let's they, go, baby. They've never yeah. done one. Now, they here's the like, question. They, they always look, seem like rivals. Can I ask but... a question? Do they, do they invite Naomi? Do they invite Naomi Watts to the party? Sure, sure. Oh. Get them. Yeah, yeah they get, have to. Get they them have all. to, right? I guess they have she, to. She did do, now that I'm like looking through it, she did do The Beguiled. Right with, oh uh, yeah, with Gothic yeah. Horror. Yeah, 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 yeah that's, that's true. Yes, yeah, really. But but yeah, give me something like that again. Give me like a a, a Deborah Carr level, The Innocence type yes. thing. With like, oh my god, with well, like, that one. With like that, the, just do The Innocence. Yeah, yeah, with like the three of them in a house. You know, get Kate Ooh. and yeah, and Naomi. Yeah. And I, I would cart. <laughs> I'm so I, sad the way we're talking. And Naomi. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I do also wish she did she did comedy more. Yeah, not not yes. necessarily like full on Adam Sandler comedy. Right, right. But right. just but things that have more of a sense of humor to them. I I uh, I she's really good at it and mm. I somewhat well, well, miss well. that. And watching Australia, that's sort of what in that, that first act, what she was trying she's to do. She's a little she's trying to be got kind of a cartoonish mad cat. But but very doing. cartoonish, yeah. yeah. Well, that's but, a good like, way of but you're it, yeah. but Moulin Rouge is a great example because she yeah, is exactly. funny in that i mean she's she's very funny in that um i mean there's literally an entire scene where she's like what do you want and she goes through the various yeah you know do you want smoldering temptress do you want bright and bubbly <laughs> do you like it's and great she, and and her character turns on on a dime as she says each one she's able to do it uh i yeah i wish she well, would, like we said i mean ability at, i mean no one's more talented i mean she could do it yeah. all you know what i mean yeah, I, I think, think she's yeah she's an incredibly versatile actress I, yeah. um it's somewhat it, it's somewhat disappointing that she's pivoted in the last couple of years to being almost exclusively so sort of yeah. tv miniseries which uh i'm the undoing has Stuff stuff about it that I like. Same it's with fun Dying trash. Strangers. Yeah. Um, Big Little Lies obviously was 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 excellent. But yeah, I, I I mean yeah, I guess can I say I just want her to make movies again? Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, I <laughs> like agreed. and working and working with filmmakers like uh, like the ones that uh, that we've these sort of auteur voices that we've been speaking about. Get her in a in an Almodovar movie. Oh, I'm sure interesting. He's, yeah. He like, like that. notoriously has some English language scripts floating about. She was meant to do a Wong Kar Wai film. Oh. He was remaking the the lady from Shanghai, and she was to be in that, but it never it, oh, it didn't progress. God, I know, right? That's, I want that right now. Oh, yeah. Do you know who that else was supposed yeah. to be in that? Yeah, like uh, no, I don't know uh, who else. No, was I don't meant know. I, I just but, like yeah, give me like yeah. Give me like Tony Lung and and Nicole Kidman and, oh, and Lady from that, Shanghai or something. Like <laughs> yeah. Well, see, and there again, like Moulin Rouge, like romance, like yeah, she's she can be really good when she got the right uh, romantic partner. Sure. And yeah, I'm sure I, I'm anybody could have chemistry with Tony Lung. So I, yes. I I think that I think Nicole could definitely. Yeah. So no, there's lots of different places that she could go. I and and that's the thing that I like about her is that like. I always expect she'll just show up in the most 
random of places and go oh yeah that makes sense right yeah. right there's like, like aquaman dressed as, as an extra from mad she's Max great yeah right. Right. Like, I love her okay <laughs> sure why not uh what was the, the john cameron mitchell film how to how to talk, talk to, to girls, girls at parties, at parties. Yeah. like yeah. how cool is that like yeah yeah so that's the sort of thing she'll show up in the in the most random of spots and it just feels completely natural normal yeah, yeah it's true. and i yeah. think part of that too is i mean you mentioned the the meryl of it all and the the sort of safe havens that meryl sort of circles in or has circled in throughout her career and as we've been talking i think that's the thing with nicole that's like the most interesting is kind of like honestly not accounting for quality but like win lose or draw she always feels like dangerous (laughs) like do you know what i mean like Mm. you just could because she seemingly can do anything you're you're sort of also meant to expect anything and that's like i think the most fascinating thing about her probably yeah And yeah. if all else fails, she can just urinate on Zac Efron. And you've got a <laughs> Amen. Well, well Done. said. What else do you need? Um, Glenn, tell us where people, if they would like, can find you, can read you, can read your tweets, whatever. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, it is my name, Glenn Dunks. That's GLE. Double N D U N K S. Uh, I review documentaries weekly uh, at the Film Experience, uh, and I also re- I tend to review Australian uh, films every now and then for a bunch of uh, local outlets. I'm on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, yeah, I, I do. I, I I I get on Twitter. I tend to. Uh, Whenever I watch an older movie for the first time, I, I, I tend to like to do those little tweet reviews, throw them out there. Yeah. Um, at least it's some 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 way to to at least try and keep my film critic brain going uh, yeah. going during <laughs> during times like like this where it feels like my brain is turning to mush. But. Oh God. Well, we appreciate your Kidman knowledge, and this has been a great discussion as always with me. I'm at the film stage. I got uh, the old at DJ Mac handle on Twitter. Got a few reviews up now. A few more coming. Been doing more reviews recently. Got the Matt Dillon interview about his new doc, El Gran Feovi, which is an interesting movie and good conversation. So check all that out. Um, And Connor. Over to you, my friend. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Scruffy Looking. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFS B-Side. Uh, this has been the second of four of our sort of audience choice winners. So we'll still have uh, Gene Wilder and Paul Newman uh, up at some point. We will, I believe, I don't want to, you know, I we haven't quite mapped it out entirely, but coming soon, we are planning to do a... Um, a uh, James Bond themed two-parter with uh, Gavin Mevius where we're going to be picking Yeah, speaking of mixed reviews, yeah. Yeah, we're going to be uh picking a single B-side from every actor who has played James Bond and and talk about some of those. Um so that'll It is a it's a it's including a... Lazenby? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. they did one. Yeah. It is a motley it is It a is yeah, we've movie. we've been sort of calling together potential options and it'll it will be an interesting a uh, pair of episodes, but yeah. we'll be we'll be doing that sort of in conjunction with no, no, time, to no time to die, which I guess is finally coming out. It seems, <laughs> um, yeah. Now that now that Shang Chi did well, I think a lot of those movies are going to come out. So, yeah. uh, in any case, so that those will be coming uh, down the pipe for sure. But uh, if not, you can also check out our so our the first audience choice episode was on Nick Cage, which we did with cinephile game creator Corey Everett and. Uh, 
you can check that episode out if you haven't yet. Um, her Trespass co-star, by the way, you know. Uh, mm. But um, oh, that's that's a B-side. <laughs> no, yeah. God. yeah, we didn't Ooh. talk about it in the cage one. We didn't talk about it here. And we did an episode on Joel Schumacher and didn't really talk about it there either. And just it's, avoiding it. Just avoiding yeah, it. It's probably left that way. Uh, best left that way. But uh, in any case, uh, Glenn, thank you so much for joining us uh listener out there thank you so much for listening uh and you know we may always joke around but we never kid man oh 